0: Welcome. Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host Albert. And with this is our other co-host. <laughs> you may talk now, Drew. You may speak.
1: No no, I I tried to do the intro simultaneously with you. Yeah. And I, I thought I timed it well, but uh-huh. I started to laugh, so I messed it up. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I would have started sooner, but I actually caught a a very, I caught something in my throat very early on, uh, as you clicked, as I saw the red dot for the record come on, so I, uh, momentarily paused so that I could cough, or, you know, muted myself so that I could cough, and jumped right back into it as quickly as possible, like a true pro, but, uh... Do you
1: have a cough drop in your mouth right
0: now? I do, I do. I like to, uh... I like to relax my vocal cords before I do this podcast so that our listeners are receiving the smoothest, most dulcet experience from my other, otherworldly, ethereal voice.
1: Okay, because from where I'm sitting, it just sounds like I hear you sucking a cough drop.
0: Okay, that too. That works too. I've got no problem with that. (laughs) As long as they know that i'm putting the effort into making giving them the best experience that i can possibly give them which includes uh you know voice quality no
1: <laughs> want to just do a proper introduction <laughs> i'll put no, this man. on at the end of the recording just
0: for laughs. laughs no i'm good with it man i'm i'm good with just going with it we're playing jazz that's what we're doing man we're improvising we're just showing that we can go with it
1: all right well i'm talking to my buddy albert my name is drew and we are between the gutters today our topic is image comics we're going to be doing this discussion of one of the well-known american comics publishers we're going to have a retrospective discussion as we marinate in the nostalgia of the comics of our youth. And we'll also talk about our own personal favorite, Image Comics. This year is their 30th anniversary. I don't actually know exactly what day they celebrate it, but I figured that any time this year would be fine to do an episode to honor Image in a celebration and retrospective of all the stuff that they've done. Heck. We were also thinking about maybe doing it next year, you know, to do it late because a lot of image comics ship late anyway. <laughs> but nice. I suppose now is a decent enough time.
0: Uh it's late enough, so you know, we're still in the spirit of the lateness of uh what's at the core of what image is, right?
1: Yeah, I have seen other comics podcasts do episodes about image earlier this year, so we're we're probably Missing out on the hype train a little bit. We're lagging behind, but in another sense, we're even more true to the spirit of Image Comics than anybody else.
0: I'd like to think that the people that are chomping at the bit for all all their Image uh, content, I'd like to think that they've already gorged themselves on everything else, and they're still fiending for some more Image discussion. So us doing it right now, as far as I can tell means that we're picking them up because they're still looking for people out there who are talking about image and we're going to be those people who are going to keep them keep them hyped on it we're just so, feeding the machine exactly so in this episode we're definitely going to talk about spawn and we're going to talk about Shadowhawk, hawk which uh, the, the darkness, darkness Tao, weapon zero savage you know, dragon all their greatest hits young blood
1: <laughs> can't forget about young blood or <laughs>
0: yeah Glory. Cyberforce. Union. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Aphrodite
1: 9. Yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, these comics that are fundamental to comic book history, because what would comics today be without these comics?
1: Yeah, they define the entire medium as an art form.
0: Yeah, they're those people's Kirby. (laughs)
1: I wonder if anyone listening to us for the first time thinks that we're genuine in our effusive praise for something like Spawn.
0: I'd like to think that if they are, the longer they sit through this podcast, the uh the I I just want to imagine them with a slowly fading smile as they realize that we're we're mocking everything that they believe in. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm hoping that we get some hate mail or something.
0: Just some sort of acknowledgment yeah I want people to know
1: that we're out here that we exist that I want someone
0: to I want someone to write us a crude message on Instagram and then block us so that we can't message them back because they're too much they're far too cowardly to withstand a response from us. They're yeah. not men they're what they're what men have sex with <laughs> <laughs> as a show of dominance
1: <laughs> that's that's a broad category. <laughs>
0: Yep, and I'm not being sexist. I I didn't specifically say what they have sex with. It could be anything. (laughs) If you take a cantaloupe and you force yourself on it, then you have dominated that cantaloupe and you have diminished it as a a cantaloupe in the eyes of other cantaloupes. That's true domination. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Not
1: even 7 minutes in and you're already making me cry.
0: Yeah. I I felt a little disgusted by what I just said, but I have to just accept the fact that it's already been said and I can't take it back.
1: <laughs> yeah. There's very little chance of me editing this out of the final recording.
0: And I wouldn't want you to either. Like it's that's what the point of this podcast is. We're just going to put things out there. It's going to go out into the ether. You know, I'm not being malicious, at least as far as I can tell. Uh, so, you know, I don't think it's worth a canceling. There are <laughs> bigger and worse people out there to cancel. Come on.
1: That's that's <laughs> true, man. I've, I've never seen you kick a dog or punch a child or anything.
0: Yeah, right? I mean, otherwise it would have been on TikTok. <laughs> exactly. I mean, if I was going to do those things, I would have done it for the likes.
1: yeah that would be hashtag content for sure
0: yeah hashtag punch a child in the face (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you heard it here first kids it's gonna trend
1: yeah maybe when we start our patreon that's the kind of (laughs) thing that our patrons can see they can pay money to follow your secret tiktok account and watch videos of you doing these awful things to living creatures
0: yeah, it's just a it's just a catalog of just me being an awful human being, otherwise known as the internet. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you get we can have a poll where people can figure out which kind of ist I am.
1: Yeah, we could have a poll to figure out what kind of s- small creature will you kick today?
0: Yeah, you know I could be, you know, is it one of the big ones? Is it a racist, sexist? <laughs> Only one way to find out. Join our Patreon. (laughs) I'm going to tell you right now, it's not one of the ones that you are expecting. Oh,
1: man. Now you got my mind just wondering what this
0: ist you are. What Uh, is you, man? What ist is you? Which ist is I? (laughs) Join the Patreon to find out, kids. (laughs) Uh, Anyways. You ready to to talk about
1: image comics?
0: Let's go for it, man. Let's let's imbibe. So,
1: Albert, for our listeners, how about giving us a brief history of image comics?
0: Oh man. Oh, shoot. I could try, but I really don't really have much to say. The best Yeah, I I know.
1: That's why I asked you. You said (laughs) earlier that we were doing this like jazz and totally improvising, so I figured even though earlier I told you that I'd come up with a brief history. I figured it'd be even funnier to let you do it.
0: I could try. I don't know if I can just make comedy off the cuff like that. Well, on, on a very sp- particular topic, but I can. I'll I'll just try to do the history part, and uh, you 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 come in after me and uh, fill the gaps. So uh, let's see. Many an eon ago, <laughs> <laughs> at the fruition of man, at the dawn of man. <laughs> When the first apes came upon the world and fornicated with one another to birth more apes, there was the initial branch of apes that would form the founding fathers of comics. But then there would be a rebellion amongst them and a branch (laughs) would split off. And the bad boys of comics would form and come upon the earth. These weren't your mama's comics. These were image comics because they was all about image
1: Somebody needs to clip that out, and that's the kind of thing that just needs to play before any trailer for an Image Comics adaptation.
0: Uh, I imagine it's the kind of thing that either like ends up in crackpot museums or like something that plays in like the van of a madman.
1: I could easily imagine somebody taking your text and drawing it out as a comic, really making it come to life that would be pretty fun yeah. we should find some artist out there and commission him to illustrate your narration imagine
0: about that the birth though. of image imagine if we like did a uh a a, a a retelling of the birth of image but we depicted the forefathers of image as the as a new age as a pantheon of gods for a new age of man. You know.
1: Yeah. No, I wouldn't be too surprised if that's how some of them saw themselves.
0: I'm pretty sure T-Mac thinks he's like Zeus or something. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, coming back that's down my to Earth.
0: version.
1: Yeah, coming back down to Earth. Let's try to talk a little bit about the uh, factual history a little bit. I mean, a lot of this stuff is, it's not uncommon knowledge. Uh, you can probably find YouTube uh, videos and documentaries uh, about the founding of Image Comics that are going to be far more detailed. Heck, you could just read uh, their website or go on Wikipedia for a history. But to give a brief summary Image Comics was founded in 1992 by seven original founders, and most of these guys. All of these guys worked for Marvel Comics and were pretty well-known artists, popular artists, hot artists, however you want to call it. But they were getting frustrated working for the man because they didn't have as much creative control and they definitely didn't own the things that they were creating. So when they failed to get a better deal from Marvel, they decided to just take their talents elsewhere and form their own company.
0: We're so taking orig- our talents to South Beach. Just they just like LeBron, except uh <laughs> yeah. I think the, I don't think they went to South Beach. They didn't. Know. I just wanted to <laughs> you, you said take their talents, and I just felt like that was an opportunity for me to quote LeBron. To yeah. quote King James himself.
2: hmm hmm
1: <laughs> The original founders, I'll just list them off here. Eric Larson. Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, Todd McFarlane, Wils Portacio, Mark Silvestri, and Jim Valentino. and The basic uh, fundamental principles of creating Image Comics was that Image Comics as a company would not own any creator's work. The creator would own whatever work that they made. Image wouldn't have any say over the intellectual properties that they created uh and the other thing is that none of the other partners the other founders of Image could interfere with any of the other uh work so they were all pretty much autonomous from a creative and financial standpoint they wouldn't mess with each other they just leave each other to do their own comics so there were originally seven of them. Uh, Wils Portacio was the only one who did not form his own studio because I believe around that time he had a family illness that he had to deal with, so he wasn't able to take on that. But the other six all created their own studios and all saw you know, different measures of success and continued to oversee not only their own cre- personal creations, but as time passed, they would also hire... Younger and other creators that they knew who wanted to create stuff uh, under their imprints. And over the years, that has continued to progress. And it's funny to think about now, because when Image Comics first began, most of the comics that they put out, I believe that all, all of us would look at those and be like, yeah, they're just pretty much knockoffs of the popular Marvel comics that they used to draw. Yeah. And today, image isn't really like that at all. I think, creatively, there's a lot more respect there. I mean, artistically, uh, you know, from an artistic standpoint, we all have to acknowledge that the stuff that they do is often far more interesting and far more different uh, than your typical cookie-cutter big-two superhero stuff. They do a lot of comics in various genres, I mean, there's still definitely a heavy uh, kind of science fiction or fantasy and action feel to their comics, and maybe they're not always, I wouldn't say they're always publishing highbrow stuff, because they're still publishing a lot of stuff that tends to appeal to as many people as possible, but they do publish a lot of comics in various genres, and a lot of it is really great. And that's the kind of stuff that I think you and I probably want to focus on. But uh, with that said, there is something amusing to talk about as we reminisce and think about the past of Image Comics and how they began back in the 90s.
2: Yeah, yeah. Do you have anything to
1: add about the history of Image at all? Or anything you want to say? Any commentary about the company?
0: I think my epic poem said everything that I know about Image Comics and their history and their founding. So it's fair to say that I know nothing of facts and figures uh, because that's just not how I live my life.
1: Uh, But you did, metaphorically, (laughs) you turned Image Comics into your personal cantaloupe as you gave your poem.
0: Yeah. I mean, the implication I'm imagining or assuming meaning that i fornicated with that and cantaloupe (laughs) you
1: you dominated
0: it dominated it (laughs) right i mean yeah I, i i would just say that i agree with what you were saying where yeah very early on a lot of their comics were they were definitely cashing in on the on the fact that they were known uh known quantities and that uh you know that they were doing a, a knockoff version of venom or a knockoff version of the x-men or whatever they were working on um and but you know they've evolved since then to become something to become an entity that's certainly taken more risk than what we're accustomed to seeing uh mm-hmm. with marvel and or dc so yeah that's that's all i'd really add i don't i don't think uh it's different at all from what, what you were saying
2: mhm
1: i want to talk a little bit about each of the founders of image just to see what your general thoughts on those individuals are and in their work so tell me what you, what do you think about eric larson's comics specifically around the time when uh image was starting
0: yeah i i'd say that Eric Larson is one of the artists who, I guess I'd say he he's of the group. He's the one that's made the 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 longest lasting impression on me um, in a good way. Like I I definitely have better feelings towards his art than I do towards some someone like T Mac. Uh, uh, actually, interesting. Uh, there's an interesting little anecdote that I have, which was. There used to be a comic book store by our house uh, in in San Francisco, and I remember going there, and I don't know how true this is. It it might be I, – I don't even know if I'm remembering it right, but I remember going to this shop a lot because it was the closest shop to me at the time. It, like, it was walking distance, and <clears throat> even then, it wasn't – it was maybe like a – 20-minute walk or something like that. And the thing that I remember about this shop was, at one point, I... Oh, actually, never mind. I'm thinking of somebody else. <laughs> what?
1: <laughs> uh, you, I was you in, built up all this anticipation, man. I, I gotta at least know how this story goes, even if it's... Okay,
0: okay. Here's what I was gonna say. Like, at the time, I was going to this shop, and I remember hearing that the owner of the shop was, I think, like, in a relationship with Eric Larson or had something to do with Eric Larson or something. And I it, I will admit it got me sort of starstruck. But oh. now that I'm actually thinking about it, it's not Eric Larson. It was Art Adams. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they're two yeah.
1: totally different people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> that's why I caught myself. But that, that – <laughs> <laughs> but that aside, his art was really good. Um, like I, I do think that that version of Spider-Man, uh, you know, is one of the better versions of Spider-Man that still sticks out in my mind. Uh, I, I collected that six-part Revenge of the. I think it's either Revenge, or Return of the Sinister Six. I think he worked on both of them. But yeah, we did
1: an episode he, on one of those on Re- the Revenge of the Sinister Six. I think that was the one we did an episode on like a couple years ago
0: that was the one he actually wrote from what i remember yeah he wrote
1: andrew that one and then the other one was uh an amazing spider-man that david michelinie wrote
0: yeah i imagine that that was far worse
1: (laughs) (laughs) dang man david michelinie (laughs) taking strays he didn't do anything to you today he just
0: he existed that That was enough (laughs) dang man brutal yeah but uh yeah I, I I still think back and uh, his version of Spider-Man and still sticks out in my mind as a really like dynamic and action-packed version of Spider-Man to look at. Um his Mary Jane was she was just a very attractive woman, uh quite buxom, I'd say. Uh What was the other issue? The the one issue that whenever uh, I feel like I buy it every once in a while, and then I'll I'll get rid of it, and then I'll look for it. Or if I come across it again in like a quarter bin or something, I end up buying it again every time. But it's the issue where Cosmic Spider-Man fights the Tri-Sentinel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, come to think of it, that entire era of the cause, the idea of Cosmic Spider-Man, like, as an adult now, thinking back on it, is a pretty silly idea, but... At the time, as a kid, the idea that Spider-Man would have these cosmic powers that would make him the most powerful being in the universe, I, I ate that stuff up, dude. Yeah, I, man. Like I, I remember an older kid telling me about it, and I was like, "He punched the Hulk into space? Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> that was like that was legit." What this dude told me, and I was like all about it. And then I remember specifically. So the the apartment I used to live in there was like a small like cigarette shop at the bottom of the at the bottom of the apartment and there was a older kid that would hang out there and I remember I would hang out with with him I was like a little kid he was like a teenager and he was like telling me all about Spider-Man and like I was like just super into it and like he was showing me his comics and we were like just hanging out in front of the store and then this other dude walked by and he saw it, and then he was – he he suddenly got caught up in it. And then he was talking with – uh so it was, like, two teenagers, and they were both talking to each other about it and super excited. And I was just over here just, like, you know, like just feeding off their vibe and their energy. Mm-hmm. And then the other dude that, you know, that just stopped by was like, yeah, and then, you know, Spider-Man punched the Hulk into space. And they were just, like, both – like, just – they were, you know – just enjo- enjoying themselves immensely just talking about this. And I, I just was, like, feeding off that energy. So that that's one of my earliest Larson memories.
1: That's great, man. Yeah. And, of course, at Image, he was known for, and is still known for, Savage Dragon. Uh-huh. Do uh-huh. you ever read Savage Dragon at all?
0: I remember when Savage Dragon came out and... uh well, I remember when all the all the image books came out. There was a lot of hype around them. So like Savage Dragon, along with Spawn and Youngblood, and I guess to a lesser degree, someone like Shadowhawk. Like they they. I I didn't actually read Savage Dragon until much later. Uh, but I do remember a lot of people were talking about it, and like just seeing the art for Savage Dragon everywhere. Um, I think the one savage dragon comic that i did read was the savage dragon shadowhawk team up or Mm. uh fight or whatever because i'm gonna skip forward ahead because i'm assuming that at some point you're gonna talk about jim valentino but um yeah you can talk about him now okay so i think as a kid you know you you want to maximize your your reading of comics uh because you can only buy so many comics right yeah so everybody else was like in on spawn or savage dragon or young blood and i think i i took it upon myself to try to be a little different and you know unique and maybe not contrarian but like you know whereas everybody else was like all about spawn and savage dragon i i I decided that I would go after Shadowhawk because I guess he was, like, their version of Batman or something. So the idea of that was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool. He's he's just a regular dude. He was like the around.
1: bizarro Batman because in- instead of getting his back broken, he would break other people's backs.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That <laughs> that's a, That's another thing, man. As a kid, like, <laughs> when someone when they were telling me about that and and you know the the idea of it was my young uh brain was processing it the idea that he he doesn't kill people cuz he's a hero he just cripples them <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> real heroes sure. don't
1: need to kill they just do what it takes to make sure the bad guy never has an opportunity <laughs> to hurt somebody else ever again
0: yeah yeah but that's totally a 90s thing, right? I mean, if the entire 90s aesthetic was about uh, how extreme can we get, like, that was just another take on that sort of absurd extremism mm-hmm. that was, that ex- absurd excess that the 90s was about, right? Yeah, yeah. So they can tell themselves, he's still heroic, he doesn't kill, he refuses to kill, but he will break your spine and cripple you. Yeah. <laughs> I did read that comic because it was a comic where so the Savage Dragon's like hook was he had this mystery where no one knew who he was or what he was. And the other thing about him was that he just woke up in this pit and, you know, just started living this normal life. And then they hired him to be a cop. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I guess he was a superhero in the sense that he had superpowers. But, you know, in his His day-to-day life and his superheroic life very much were intertwined because he was just the Savage Dragon all the time, and he was a cop. So every second and hour that he was on the job, he was, you know, superheroing, I guess. I don't know. What about you, Drew? Did you read any of those Savage Dragon comics early on?
1: Yeah, as far as Savage Dragon goes, I was pretty into it. Like you, I was into... Eric Larson, because of Amazing Spider-Man and his Spider-Man run. A lot of the stuff that you were referring to with Cosmic Spider-Man and the Tri-Sentinel. I didn't own those comics myself, but I had older friends, neighbors who had them. And I read theirs pretty voraciously. And there was another storyline he drew for Amazing Spider-Man called Powerless Pete. And that was the one where Peter Parker lost his powers because uh, of some weird device that zapped him or something. And he was still trying, partly trying to give up being Spider-Man, but also he couldn't really stop being Spider-Man, even though he had no powers, and he would just get messed up by someone as lowly as the Tarantula. I think that was what happened in that story. But it was something that always stood out to me because of the artwork. As far as Savage Dragon goes, yeah, I did read that. Maybe because I was a kid, I didn't have every single issue or anything. It was just, oh, if I see an issue of it, I'll get it if I, you know, can convince my parents to get it for me. So I had a handful of issues, and I don't know if there was really anything about it that stood out. Like, I've definitely gone back as an adult to reread those early Savage Dragons I used to have. And, yeah, I don't really know. I can't really explain why... I liked them when I was a kid, other than I liked the artwork. The dragon looked cool and he drew some hot chicks. So, you know, all pretty shallow reasons to, to enjoy a comic, but. As a kid, it's more than enough. Yeah. I was, I was like nine years old. So that was definitely more than enough. As far as Jim Valentino though, I can't really say I read too many of his comics because when he was at Marvel, his thing was guardians of the galaxy. And that was something I never had much interest in. I did have friends at school and, uh, older, like neighbor friends. They had a bunch of comics. So I do remember them talking about guardians of the galaxy because Valentino was still kind of a, a big name, I guess, or maybe it was even after he joined image. And then, you know, that made his profile get higher and, then they started my friends started talking about him so I, I did see some of his guardians comics but it was it just was never anything that clicked with me and then shadow hawk i don't really remember shadow hawk too much uh it wasn't something i personally bought it was again something that other people would buy and then i would just read their copies so can't say i was ever a, a big shadow dude mm-hmm.
0: well I, I can't really say that I defend Shadowhawk, but when I really think about it, I can't really defend any of those any of those early <laughs> comics. So I guess it's in good company, or what about, at least adequate company.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> what about Mark Sylvester? What about his stuff?
0: Uh, he was a big X Men guy. I I'll be honest, I wasn't really too familiar with the era of X-Men that he was working on at the time. Um, so I was definitely less familiar with him and his work. And You weren't reading
1: uh, Wolverine in the early 90s? Larry Hama and Mark Silvestri did Wolverine?
0: I, I, yeah. Um, again, just because I didn't really have access to a lot of comics at the time, uh, I... I just never really got around to reading too many Wolverine or or X-Men. I think the X-Men comics that I vividly remember are mostly the Kubert X-Men. Uh bert and Jobdel X-Men. Oh man. That's the era of X-Men that I remember. Okay uh, more more clearly, you know? So I don't even really remember this the the era before them, which was Jim Lee. Uh, yeah, Jim Lee. Well I guess I do remember a little bit of that, because like, that that whole Jim Lee thing was a phenomenon, so it was it was hard to ignore that. But yeah. Other than that, uh yeah. But yeah, I, I, was, I
2: can't. Yeah, say I was
1: that, pretty into Mark Silvestri when I was a kid.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah, I had I had a lot of friends that were pretty into him too. Uh, but yeah. Um, he he was definitely a name I was less familiar with compared to uh T Mac or Eric Larson, for sure.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't read Mark Silvestri's uncanny X Men comics because I was a little bit too young when he was on those, but he definitely drew a chunk of Wolverine comics that I was very big on. I loved Wolverine a lot when I was a kid, and there was that one issue, uh, issue fifty, the one with the die cut cover where it looks like his claw cut the cover, (laughs) or his claws, yeah. Uh, yeah, that whole stuff, all those issues were the Mark Silvestri era, and I was pretty into his art. Yeah, yeah. And Cyberforce, his image comic, that was one that I was embarrassingly a big fan of when I was a kid. (laughs) Yeah, it it was it was pretty bad, man. I it was one of the few trade paperbacks I owned as a kid. Wow. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. When you're a kid, spending like ten bucks on a comic or however much the trade paperback cost. It's a huge investment. Yeah, that was a lot, but I read that sucker to bits. The funny thing is, is that trade paperback, the original one, it actually had a foil cover, so they did a gimmick cover for a trade paperback. (laughs) And
0: I read that thing so much, the foil just wore off. Man. I feel like nowadays, if you think about it... I. We're in the era of gimmicky comics, and it's it's kind of weird that we don't see more gimmicky trade paperbacks or uh, hardcovers or whatever, right? Yeah. But, whatever. I mean, I, I don't think a gimmick necessarily makes it a good comic, obviously. Definitely not. Yeah.
1: Yeah, his Cyber Force was pretty silly thinking about it. It was another <laughs> X-Men knockoff, so you had... Your guy who leader guy who was kind of like cyclops who could shoot stuff except i think this guy might have been able to shoot stuff from his fists yeah uh you had the ninja chick cyblade who was like psylocke (laughs)
0: yeah (laughs) she was just like psylocke except except she wore less clothes wasn't there a dude who had like two regular arms and then on one side he had like two cyborg arms so it was like Close. three arms on one side.
1: Close. There was actually I think this guy was a leader. His name was Stryker with a Y. And right, right. he he was like cable, but you know how cable was cool because he had one cyborg arm? This guy uh-huh. was cool because he had three cyborg arms. He had like one normal arm on one side of his body, and on the other side of his body, he had three cyborg arms. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty ridiculous. It's stupid. The asymmetrical. <laughs> styles yeah Yeah, it's it's definitely the kind of thing that a kid would dream up if if that guy existed
0: huh i go ahead
1: i was gonna say don't forget the wolverine clone on on the team too, ripclaw
0: right i was just gonna say if that cyborg if that striker guy really did exist i'm pretty sure every moment of his life would have just been hell yeah (laughs) totally it's just like super unbalanced yeah exactly i have to walk with all this weight on one side i'm constantly having to balance myself out like i'm just in constant agony
1: (laughs) he's gonna have back problems for
0: sure for sure i mean the funny thing about that was that there were just so many there were a lot of teams in the image universe but all of them were some version of an X-Force X-Men ripoff.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? That's what was popular, and that's what a lot of them made their yeah. name on. Yeah. What about Wills Portacio? Were you a fan of his stuff at all?
0: Oh, uh, I think at the time I was, I, I I think there was a period of time where I was talking myself into collecting his stuff and. It just never happened. And as a result, looking back now as an adult, I'm glad it never happened, (laughs) you know? Mm. Um, I'm trying to think what he worked on. Like, the only thing that I really remember from him was the Heroes are Reborn Iron Man, but that was, like, after Image. I don't really remember what he was prominent for.
1: He did Uncanny X-Men. He did that story that introduced Bishop...
0: Oh, yeah, you're right. Bishop is his creation. Yeah, people would... I, I felt like... uh, the, uh So, at, at the time, I remember I was... uh I think I was at the hospital because my dad was sick or something, and I was just reading comics. And one of the nurses came by, and he was... I think he saw that he, I was reading a comic. And the guy was... uh He was uh, from the Philippines. And he was, you know, just trying to like strike up a conversation about whatever mm-hmm. and then he goes oh you know you know uh you ever read x-men i was like yeah yeah and he goes you know the guy that created uh bishop is a uh, filipino i was like oh I, I didn't know that i looked it up and i was like oh what do you know it's wills portashio okay yeah so yeah i guess that's my one memory of wilson portashio
1: i think he also did some x-factor <clears throat> comics back in the early 90s but I i don't really remember those too well It was all that stuff, like, leading up to the point when they relaunched the whole X-Men line with the Jim Lee X-Men number one. uh But I I think he he was drawing some of the issues in that era. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I want to say that he was involved in one of those big X crossovers. I just don't remember which one.
1: Yeah, I don't remember either. I'd have to look. (coughs) He was the creator out of that group He's, i guess he it was him and valentino were the guys that i didn't really read too much of their work because yeah because uh yeah it just never grabbed me for whatever reason even they, when they, he came out with Wetworks for image i think that was his first image book yeah i think by that point it had been so long since he had announced it that i lost interest
0: <laughs> yeah like I mean like you mentioned earlier he uh he had some stuff happen to him but it felt like whatever momentum he had coming out of uh Marvel and being one of the uh you know bad boys of Marvel or whatever one of the big names heavy heavy hitting names to leave Marvel right and to strike out on their own it, it's like you said there was like a lot of buzz surrounding his work but it just never really fully materialized and I just felt like he was always yeah, just always behind behind the curve to the point where he just fizzled out. Yeah. You know? To this day, I, I I don't even really know what he does now.
1: I feel like I still see him get work here and there, but I can't really... Off the top of my head, I'm struggling to come up with something that I would point to as like, oh, yeah, you should check out this comic by Wills Pertesio.
0: I kind of wonder what his status like whatever became of his status at image you know
1: i'm not too sure i don't know the details of it but yeah. at least at least he's a founding father so i guess you got to give him respect for that
0: yeah yeah i mean i just hope that he's taken care of in his old age you know i don't have i don't have anything against the man personally yeah and image seems to be doing well now so i i'd like to think that being a founding father means something, at least in that regard.
1: I don't know if that's how Image works, because if if they were all pretty much independent, I don't actually think that they would reap profits from what other people were creating.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I just meant I don't know what their structure is or how it's set up. You know, if he's got some sort of title or some sort of
1: I don't you know, think he has a title.
0: Yeah, At least some if sort he of, does.
1: It's it's not uh, listed on the Wikipedia entry because right now yeah. it's it's got their executives listed and with the titles and stuff. And you have yeah, have T Mac as president, Jim Valentino as VP, Mark Silvestri as CEO, yeah. Robert Kirkman as C O O, Eric Larson as CFO. And yeah. Eric Stevenson as the publisher and CCO.
0: See, that's the thing, Jim Valentino. He did a little bit of Shadowhawk, but I don't. I don't really feel like Shadowhawk ever came out in as many. It 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 didn't make as many issues as the other comics. Maybe it made more than Wetworks or something by <laughs> like, Will yeah. well, Portacio, but it, it definitely wasn't something that had any lasting power to the degree that Spawn or Savage Dragon or even Youngblood had. So, but at the same time, Jim Valentino still has a title and he still works for the company. So, you know, even if Jim Valentino retires, I'm sure he gets something because like you said, he's listed as part of their organizational structure. Yeah.
1: Anyways, yeah, I really, I really couldn't tell you how that all works. Yeah, that's that's a a bigger question than I can handle.
0: Yeah, fair, fair, fair. fair. So,
1: you got. let's uh, talk about the final three guys. They're all probably the biggest names on the list. But we have Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, and Todd McFarlane. What are your thoughts on those guys?
0: Uh, quite frankly. The, quite frankly, history has not been, well, I guess in some ways history has been good to them in the sense that a lot of people look at these three as, uh, as kind of legends, but in my personal opinion, they're all kind of terrible in their own way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, like, I I don't even mean as, as, uh, as artists even though I'm certainly not a fan of any of their art at this point. Uh, but I'd say that what they did with their power, their uh, positions, how they personally behaved and how they came off was not anything that necessarily endeared me to any of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, it's just a perfect storm of like all these things where if their comics, if they had been good people then I would have been fine just considering their comics as this as this uh, anomaly where okay maybe their art hasn't aged too well or whatever but you know they they seem like nice enough people I can I can kind of ignore the the quality of their work or their aesthetics or their bad taste or whatever right Sure, But it's just a combination of their talent, or their lack of, talent lack of, <laughs> uh, combined with the fact that, personally, they don't seem like very good or nice people, combined with the fact that I think their contribution to comics overall has been a mixed bag, you know, like you can say that T-Mac created image and in a broad sense, the creation of image contributes more to comics overall and that's a good thing. But if you look mm-hmm. at like what he did like what, what his style spawned um uh, uh, spawned <laughs> <pun. laughs> uh, Yeah, like I, I don't know. Maybe it's a wash. <laughs> well, I guess the, the the comic book world is better off with Image than it is without it. So there's that. But looking at someone like Jim Lee and just what he's done over at DC, and maybe you could argue that he had paymasters that made him do things that he didn't necessarily want to do, but there's an entire era of comics at DC that I'm pretty sure he just – ruined his fingerprints are all over that era yeah 52 <laughs> you know? yeah yeah and it's I don't know I, I don't even know if it's fully I guess it's recovered but it's definitely not at where it was in in its glory days of of the early thousands uh, I certainly don't feel that way about DC now mm-hmm. and Rob Liefeld just from what I've seen of him out in the world he uh yeah he's just kind of a jerk <laughs> 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 I mean the guy the guy maybe you could say that he's not relevant anymore and he doesn't really produce anything that's harmful, but the fact that he walks around with this sense of this ego despite the fact that he hasn't come out with anything really good in years uh that's pretty insulting,
2: mm mm-hmm. mhm. Like, he
0: created, what, Colonel X or something like that a few years ago? And, you know, the rest of us just kind of look at this like, this is ridiculous. This, like, does he think we're stupid? This this is just kind of pathetic, but it almost feels like he thinks that just because he created it, it makes it good. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it, yeah. It takes a certain level of obliviousness to to have that just attitude about yourself to look at Colonel X and not be like, this is obviously a cash grab or yeah. this is just so lazy on my part. <clears throat> I don't know. How about you? What do you think of those three?
1: Oh, okay. I'll start with Life since you were just talking about him. Cause I was also going to add that he has his own podcast. And if you ever listen to it, sometimes it does sound like he's just this guy who's railing at how comics are today. You know, like I've, I've listened to some of his podcasts where he just talks about what he thinks about current comics and it's, it's rarely positive or maybe I don't, maybe he does have positive things to say, but I feel like more often uh, the things that get attention on his podcast are when he slams other people um and and it just becomes one of those things where it it really does feel like he's out of touch with with current tastes (laughs) or reality yeah reality (laughs) like all the all the stuff that he tends to praise tends to be the comics that he grew up on when he was a kid you know like the stuff that influenced him like he'll he'll uphold those things as great and and just disregard a lot of stuff from the past 20 years as nonsense or, or garbage or, you know, whatever derogatory category you want to throw them in. So I, I can't really say I uh, have too much respect for his uh, brashness in that regard. But the other thing is, even though I never liked his art, not even when I was a kid, I was never into X-Force or Youngblood and stuff. A lot of my friends were, so I would still read them just because. But I don't think I enjoyed them, and I certainly didn't ever try to hunt them down or try to own any of his comics myself.
0: You never loved it in your heart?
1: I never loved it in my heart. I just read it because everybody else read it, and they owned it, so I could just read theirs. <laughs> um, But, yeah, the way he is now, I, I think he's, he does get a lot of respect from fans today especially people our age cuz a lot of our peers or people our age grew up reading X-Force and Youngblood and loving it and now he it's kind of like the uh I don't know like reminds me of some really bad rock and roll bands that just would never go away and as they get older their fans continue to age with them and still <laughs> go to their shows and stuff. Yeah, it's, and it's like I wish they would just disappear forever because I really don't care for their music and it's hard to believe that they still perform. But and it's hard to believe that people will pay money to see them perform. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> that's what Rob Liefeld kind of reminds me of. It's like this nostalgia act, you know? He's just cashing in on a lot of nostalgia because a lot of people have these warm feelings for his art. And, you know, that, I guess that's fine. I don't share that. I don't share those feelings, and I don't empathize with those feelings. But I acknowledge that there are a lot of people who do like his work, who value, you know, Deadpool and Cable and Shatterstar or whatever. <laughs> Domino. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What else did he do? Gideon? <laughs> don't you love yeah. Gideon?
0: <laughs> I do remember uh, the one thing I was going to say was even though he's certainly past his prime and uh, maybe not producing as much output as he used to. I remember a few years ago, I think Netflix made some sort of deal with him where he made like a crazy boatload of money based on that. I I don't know. Huh? I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, maybe I'm remembering this wrong, but I'm pretty sure that in that era where Netflix was just buying up whatever content they could, they were just throwing money at at whoever they could throw money at. And Mm -hmm. Rob Liefeld happened to be the recipient of one of those. So, you know, he's more than fine there, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure financially he's doing great.
0: Yeah. But, uh...
1: That's pretty immaterial to me because his wealth doesn't improve my life. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I exactly. don't really care like if Todd McFarlane has this crazy massive toy empire and he can, you know, spend a million bucks on a baseball just because he can. Like that to me that's not the measure of success that that I care about. I just care about the comics, man.
2: Yeah. I, yeah. I
1: care about what I can read and and uh if 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 they're doing well, that's that's fine. That's good for them and their families, I guess, but Yeah. But uh don't expect me to celebrate them. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I don't I don't respect them more than another creator who who's struggling but makes good work, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, by far. I I absolutely agree with that. Like I don't think that the argument that hey, he he makes money or he's popular or somebody likes him like, that's not enough for me to justify or to validate their existence.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: I will say with Todd McFarlane, I I did like his art when I was a kid. I liked his Spider-Man comics. Uh-huh. And I did actually try to hunt those down. It's funny, because when, when I was a kid, it's not like I had a ton of money. So... I was limited in what i could get but whenever i could find his comics i would try to buy them especially spider-man not so much spawn but spider-man but the tough thing is is that i think when i discovered him and his spider-man comics that was when he was really hot so a lot of times those back issues would be just prohibitively expensive as a kid you know they'd be like multiple times cover price and even though it's still not that much you know it could be like three three bucks or five bucks as a kid that was a lot man because i wasn't going to ask my parents to spend five bucks on a comic when the cover clearly said it was like 175 or something you know or 150 or whatever the case may be yeah it was just i would only end up buying the stuff that was on the on the racks but I, i did hunt his stuff down I had Spawn number one and a couple of other Spawn comics. I think I even had a Spawn action figure at one point.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I was I was a dumb kid. Actually, now that you bring it up, I, I did go through a period where I was buying Spawn regularly, like later on uh, in, in my life, probably in my teens, I'd say. So, as a teenager, huh, I did not know that
1: I learned yeah. something in this recording,
0: yeah, so I did have those comics, and i I even bought not a lot of his toys, but I bought a couple of his toys, so uh, in fact they're they're still even around my house, like I have a medieval spawn just kind of that I just put up against my window uh i I remember wow. he he did some anime toys for a while, uh so I bought Trigun. There was the Trigun uh action figure that he did. Vash, he also did the Stampede. Vash the Stampede, yeah. And uh I remember he did Akira too. You remember that? Akira and Tetsuo?
1: I didn't know he did toys on them.
0: Yeah. Look it up. They, there was the Akira toy which came with that red motorcycle that he he rode on. Not you Akira. Have it? Not Akira. Uh T- what's his uh, name? Canada. Canada, yeah. Canada actually now that you I think that about one? it I I don't have that one. But now that I think about it, it was a set of three. So he the uh there might have been more, but from what I remember, there was Canada with the motorcycle. There was Tetsuo with the with a replaceable arm. So you could have him with a <laughs> regular arm or you could yeah. have him with the a grotesquely mutated arm. Uh huh. Uh-huh. There was Akira sitting on the throne.
1: Oh, that's a nice one.
0: Yeah, and then there was a toy of uh the girl uh, K was it K? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, K. yeah. yeah. Uh, I think there was a toy of K as well. You can look them all up. Those I begrudgingly accept that those were kind of cool looking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I
1: think McFarlane Toys has become an empire in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really. I'm not a toy guy. I don't collect any figures or anything like that at all. But yeah, from what I do know about that stuff, I think he's still going strong there. I also yeah. know that T Mac himself was a pretty big fan of Akira, because there are comics. I think Spawn comics, maybe Spider Man. I think Spawn though. But there are comics that he did where he straight up traced backgrounds from the manga,
0: huh? Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm you kinda can curious Google to see it, that.
1: but it's it's it'll be like a scene where where uh, Spawn is flying over the you know swinging over the city or something, and you can tell that the background is a background he swiped from yeah, Katagiri Otomo. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. It's from it's a background from the manga. Uh, I think huh. you can Google it and, and find
0: it. I'll be sure to check it after this after we finish our episode just to satisfy my curiosity.
1: Yeah, yeah. Those might be some of his best backgrounds ever.
0: Yeah, just by the very virtue of the fact that he copied someone better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I think over the years though my opinion of T-Mac definitely faded cuz I, I think I read too many interviews with him and he just came off the wrong way to me. Like I wasn't a big fan of how pompous and arrogant he sounds! Like you weren't um, a fan of the man. I weren't. I wasn't a fan of the man. No. It, yeah. One of my favorite things. One of my favorite comic book interviews ever is this interview he did with Gary Groth, the I forget what his title is—publisher of Fantagraphics or something or or owner. But Gary Groth uh, also runs the Comics Journal, and back in the nineties. When T Mac was at his peak, the two of them did an interview. And I don't know if you know too much about Gary Groth, but I think he's also kind of a pompous guy. And he's definitely one of those people who uh isn't afraid to make other people feel stupid. I guess because he like his I guess his whole thing is more like art comics, right? Because of it's fancy yeah. graphics. You know, they do Artistic comics they're they're making comics that are art with the capital A, so that there's a lot more pretentiousness to it mm. and I definitely read my fair share of fancy graphics books, and I like what they do, but him as a person like i I probably wouldn't really have a whole lot I could say to him if I ever met him, you know, like he he just comes off as that kind of person where he uh really didn't look favorably on people that didn't share his aesthetics and tastes so to see him do this full-length interview with Todd McFarlane it was pretty entertaining stuff to me man like they're just (laughs) two really egotistical blowhards that are just going at it against each other yeah like like from from what I remember there was this one point where they were talking about uh, t max art or his comics and just what he's been able to accomplish, and uh, T Mac was talking about how he was pretty proud of what he's done with Spawn. And then Gary Groth asked him, "You're actually proud of your work?" And <laughs> the way that he said it it, it, it was like obviously sarcastic, or you know, just in shock and unbelief that somebody could be this clueless as to be proud of creating Spawn. <laughs> But the funny thing is, is that when T Mac responded, I think he took it at face value, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm really proud of what I did."
0: He was, yeah, he was oblivious to his
1: uh, his condescension. Exactly, and and that's that's what makes it funny. So, for anyone listening, I think you can still find that interview online on the TCJ website. So, just Google Gary Groth Todd McFarlane interview, and you should be able to find it. it it's it's pretty entertaining stuff.
0: That's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. Just the idea of just two jerks just having a penis measuring contest with each other <laughs> about who who's the better person. Yeah, I, I remember you showing me that interview, and I could be remembering this wrong, but I want to say that there's a part of it where the conversation begins to revolve around, you know, essentially what justifies, what qualities or metrics do we use to justify Uh, your work as an artist, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think at one point, I forget exactly what t says, but, you know, he says something to the effect of, it makes a lot of money. What, like, what? how else it's popular? What else do I need to... What yeah. else would I need to 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 justify the existence of my work? Exactly.
1: Exactly. You know? and,
0: and Gary Groth just kind of you know, the, he takes the extreme opposite opinion which is you could almost hear him scoffing and saying something like you know, how pedestrian, <laughs> you
1: know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, he he does have a good point there because it's like who in their right mind would, would think that something like Spawn is a better comic than Love and Rockets just because Spawn sells more?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like I think in terms of his argument, I'm more inclined to agree with Groff, but because he's just such a massive dick, I uh I couldn't I couldn't in con- good conscience ever give him that validation. Yeah. Knowingly or unknowingly.
1: That's why it's entertaining to see the both of them talk to each other.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, man.
1: And then, uh, yeah, as far as Jim Lee goes, I was a pretty big Jim Lee fan, honestly. Like, for quite a while in my youth, he was my favorite artist. Even, I would say, up to the point when he came back to draw Batman in the early thousands, I think that was a, a draw for me. We talked about Hush earlier uh, this year in one of our episodes, and you know, I don't need to repeat all that, but he's, he's definitely not really one of the guys that I care for anymore. I mean, yeah. I, at, at the time, you know, he was what got me hooked on comics with his X-Men comics, and I, I really did like his X-Men. I'm thinking of the X-Men number one that he did. Like that, that whole run of X-Men was something that I collected uh, as, as long as I was able to when I was a kid. Yeah. And his designs for those characters, the costumes, that was pretty much the definitive look for a lot of people because that's what they did for, that's what they used for the
2: cartoon. Mhm.
0: Mm-hmm. I'll admit that I liked Omega Red. I liked him a lot. He had a cool name. He, yeah. Uh, he he had a cool design and he had those tendrils. I was like, okay, that's cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty unique character. Yeah, but good uh,
0: addition. But uh, yeah, I can't say that his work has aged well. And the longer that he's stayed in comics and the more that he's done, it, it just it does feel like he's done more harm over time than good yeah it's 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 definitely a case of diminishing returns,
2: yeah
1: so with jim lee i I also want to add that the probably the thing that he was known for with image at the time they launched was Wildcats, which was also a bizarre title because the cats in Wildcats was an acronym that stood for covert action teams. It was just so. So extra, you know, like, why do you need to make that an acronym?
0: <laughs> <laughs> they're wild, they're the wild covert action team, <laughs> the wild cats, because <laughs> acronyms are cool, that's how that's what makes them serious, right? It, yeah, it's,
1: I think that know. was the idea, yeah. But I i was a pretty big fan of wild cats when I was a kid. I, I gotta be straight up, I had. Most of the first few issues, and then I ended up getting... That was another trade paperback that I owned when I was a kid, just because I was that big a fan of Wildcats. <laughs> I wanted to have the whole story. <laughs> um, I collected it. Maybe I missed issues here and there, but I tried to collect it when I could find it. And then at one point, when I was getting back into comics in my either really late teens or early 20s, I ended up finding a bunch of his... I found his entire run of Wildcats were super cheap at the store uh, near my university. So I ended up buying that. And I think I still have them. I, I've got a pretty big run of Wildcats comics for some reason. I haven't been able to <laughs> get rid of them yet. <laughs> that's a that's a guilty pleasure, man. It is guilty, man. I don't know if it's a pleasure, but it, it's guilty for sure. <laughs> right, right, right. For sure. I I, I think... I keep it just because it's nostalgic, and I actually do think his Wildcats comics are probably his best art. I think it's better art than his X-Men stuff and the stuff that he's done in the past 20 years. In terms of the story, they're all pretty bad stories. He can't write worth crap, and uh, most of the people that he got to help co-write his stories, they weren't any good either so there's no real value to rereading them. It's just that sometimes, every couple years, I'll pull them out and just look at them for nostalgia. (laughs) To remind yourself. (laughs) Yeah, to remind myself, this is what I
0: used to like. Yeah, don't ever (laughs) revert to that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now that you mention it, though, you did get me thinking. I do remember a friend of mine at the time was... uh, I mean, this was a few years after Wildcats, but uh, I remember they were making a big deal out of it because he was starting a new comic called, I think it was Divine Right.
2: Yeah,
1: I think and he wrote that one.
0: Yeah, wrote so Andrew, I do. It. I do remember getting a few issues of that. Maybe even that the was trade bad. paperback. It was bad. Yeah, it was bad.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's made a lot of. I think out of all of the founders. <laughs> His, the stuff he created at Image felt like it lasted a while, though, just because even to this day, people still kind of do stuff with some of those characters. And that, I, I mean, of course, Eric Larson is still doing Savage Dragon. Todd McFarlane still has Spawn. Like, those are the two long-running ones. But Jim Lee's stuff, like, it feels like every few years, somebody's trying to do a new take on Wildcats. Yeah. Or Stormwatch. Mm. As far as yeah. his art goes too, um, yeah, when he came back to doing stuff like Batman and all the other DC stuff, like I, I wasn't very – I'm not into it now. At the time I was, and and as years passed, I think the more I reread his stuff, the more I realized I didn't really like it. Maybe you could say that as an artist, compared to the other image character, uh, creators, He was probably the one who had the best sense of anatomy, at least, uh, I mean, everybody he drew was super buff and super busty and had thin waist and whatever, (laughs) like they all had the same kind of body types. But at least the way he drew them, it didn't look super grotesque or, you know, the way that... They were posed during action scenes. It, it just seemed a little bit more uh, believable than some of the other artists. So I think from that standpoint, he had some technical skill. It was just really his aesthetics that, that really don't hold up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: His, like, and his sense of costume design is really bad. Like all the stuff he did, like you were saying with the new 52, that was those were all some really bad costumes.
0: Yeah, but it it still feels like people i don't know if it's quite I think
1: people still do love his stuff
0: Yeah yeah like i don't know if it's quite to the same fervor as it was when they made a big hoopla about the fact that oh Jim Lee's coming back to comics mainstream comics by doing Batman or whatever like but you know when when they announce that he does he's going to do something it always feels like it's a uh, I guess it, it's they. I guess they keep giving him work, so and they keep making it seem like it's a big deal when when he does like a cover or something. So I I don't know. Like I guess he's still popular.
1: Yeah, he's he's definitely still a big name. He still yeah. has a legion of fans, people who will buy up any variant cover that he ends up doing. But I I guess that also brings us to the point that we got to address with Jim Lee, which is that out of the founding fathers of Image, he was the one who ended up selling out. <laughs> like the whole point of their of founding Image was to maintain creator ownership of their characters. And he was the one who sold his studio and all their properties to DC Comics in the late 90s.
0: Yeah, yeah. And there was like some bad some messed up stuff that happened there because his studio ended up working with Alan Moore on some stuff. And at this point in his career, Alan Moore was just kind of done and over with the big two. So like, I don't know exactly what the specifics are of their, the deal that they had worked out, but I think it sounds, I know
1: part of what happened. So,
0: Yeah. yeah. So,
1: Wildstorm Comics was Jim Lee's studio at Image, and they had started an imprint called America's Best Comics, which was going to be for Alan Moore, because Alan Moore had already done some stuff for Image Comics in the mid-90s, early and mid-90s. He even did a couple of of things for uh, Jim Lee's creations, like he wrote some Wildcats and did a Wildcat Spawn crossover and a few other image comics. There was something called 1963 that Alan Moore wrote, which was really a precursor to the types of stuff he would do in America's best comics. So if if anyone uh, wants to trawl the back issue bins, look for 1963 by Alan Moore. That's, that's actually some really good stuff, and I don't think it's ever really been collected. But it's essentially... A pastiche of what if Alan Moore did Marvel Comics in 1963? Like, those would be his takes on those kinds of characters. And he worked with a lot of the artists that he's been associated with. So, you know, you got like Rick Veach doing some stuff with him and some other people whose names I can't remember at this moment. But yeah, those were good comics. But I think because he had already had that relationship with Jim Lee, Steve. Uh they had worked out some kind of agreement to do America's best comics. So the thing is, is that like you said, Alan Moore did not want to work for DC or Marvel uh ever again after how they screwed him how DC screwed him with Watchmen. But I don't know if DC specifically did this because they wanted to get Alan Moore uh you know doing more work for their company but yeah it just seems like
0: an unhappy coincidence yeah
1: yeah I don't know if there was anything you know malicious like that
0: yeah I'm sure that they would have been happy to profit off him if they could have (laughs) yeah Uh, I mean there's no other way to put it but
1: yeah 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 so Jim Lee ended up selling Wildstorm to DC Comics when he had already worked out this deal with Alan Moore for America's Best Comics to be an imprint of Wildstorm. So he he worked out that deal, made the sale, and then uh, had to tell Alan Moore. And I guess from what I know, Alan Moore, he wasn't like happy, obviously, but I don't think he was going to attack Jim Lee or he wasn't
0: he wasn't going to rage <laughs> or anything like that. He wasn't going to wait for Jim Lee in the parking lot and just be like, <laughs> all right, we're going to settle this. And then, you know, just break some bottles of glass and then dip his hands in some glue and then <laughs> roll him around in the glass so that exactly. he can cut Jim Lee's face open. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, man.
1: But, yeah, Alan Moore, he... From what I know, he thought about what to do with America's Best Comics because he, he did have his principles to not work for DC again. But I think because he had already set all this stuff up with his artistic collaborators and even a couple of other writer friends to do these comics, it just I think he felt like if he walked away, then he would screw all these other people over, and they didn't deserve that.
0: Yeah, he wanted to honor... To the best of his ability, his his debts, whatever they were.
1: Yeah, to make sure that the people that were going to work with him could still get their paychecks too, you know? Like he wanted to make sure that they weren't going to be scrambling around looking for work when they thought they were going to be doing these comics with Alan Moore. Yeah, yeah. But I also think the sale to DC, that's probably the reason why Promethea and Tom Strong have a this apocalyptic ending because I I think it was one of those things where Alan Moore wanted to end his universe so that, you know, from a theoretical standpoint, this is the end of everything in America's best comics. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so they ever
0: try to, you know, profit off these, uh, off these bits of intellectual property he can at least tell himself and and anyone who who accepts it that, hey, as far as I'm concerned, it all ended right there.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I get that. Do you, do you think Jim Lee was a sellout?
0: I mean, I think he obviously was a sellout. <laughs> <laughs> he was literally a sellout. Yeah. I mean, he, he's. I don't know if. Okay. I. There's a part of me that doubts. If he's as rich as Todd McFarlane at this point, yeah. So uh, I'm I'm pretty sure Todd McFarlane's super well off, and I don't know what the trajectory of his career would have been. So it's hard for me to say, like, if if he hadn't sold out, would would he could he have been as rich as Todd McFarlane? I don't know, but. I do know that, I guess from a financial standpoint, he's doing more than just fine for himself, you know? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it certainly is a bad look to go out there, strike out on your own, and then come back. And not only do you come back in a small way, you come back in the biggest way possible by by being integrated into the man, into the into the infrastructure of... The oppressor itself yeah <laughs> you know like that's <sighs> yeah just in terms of optics that's you don't get to be any more of a sellout than that
2: <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I-, I guess you could look at him and say that he leveraged his uh his talents and his skills to whatever degree that he leveraged them and he was able to make a, a career success for himself by becoming president or CEO at D C or whatever. But
1: I think his current title is publisher and chief creative officer.
0: Yeah. I, I don't I'm not exactly sure what that means, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he could be, you know, the head wizard or something for all I know. That's pretty... It's at this kind point, of meaningless it, to me.
1: Yeah, at this point it almost doesn't really matter because it feels like with all the stuff happening with Warner Brothers Discovery, there's someone higher up there that will be making any decisions yeah. anyway.
0: Yeah, He's he's just the last guy that they fire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You want to get into the comics?
2: One more or- question for you, man. Yeah. Uh, these
1: early image founders and their comics, and I think it's pretty clear that while both of us, on some level, may have enjoyed some of their comics at the time when we were kids, looking back at our kids' selves, we don't really have respect for the taste that we had back then. I think that's fair. Yeah. So let me ask you this. How has your view of Image Comics shifted over the years? Like, how do you view Image Comics today?
0: Mm, Hmm. Quite honestly, um, I think Image did have... I think very early on, my impression of Image was always that... It was basically what you were saying, was that a lot of their comics... A lot of the comics that they were producing were just cookie-cutter uh, rip-offs of, you know, far more popular, established characters uh, from Marvel or DC, right? Right. But And it did feel like... <clears throat> their house style was pretty prominent in those early years. Even, even the stuff that, you know, they came up with that was quote unquote original stuff, uh, you know, stuff like the Witchblade or Darkness or Tao or a- anything in that era of, of comics that they were putting out. Mm-hmm. A lot of that stuff, I, I can't say, I definitely wouldn't say that that was a good era for, for comics, but for, for them, for for Image, right? And if Image had continued on that path where this was what they were producing, uh, very just uh stylized and art intensive comics mm-hmm. uh you know, if that had if they had just stuck to that house style, I probably would have written them off uh if if they were still doing that stuff today, but I don't know, something happened over time uh maybe Maybe Kirkman had something to do with it when when they you know took him on uh, to 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 play this way larger role in the organization, but mm-hmm. um, there was some sort of evolution going on behind the scenes, and the kind of comics that we see coming out of them today. I, I mean, we still see the occasional like whatever right darkness <laughs> darkness comic, or I, I don't even know if fathom is them, but. Uh, you know,
1: I think uh, wasn't there recently a, another relaunch of Cyberforce or something?
0: yeah, probably uh, like i it's still not something that super interests me, but their library has expanded so much, and they it really does feel like they have not pigeonholed themselves into getting creators that adhered to their specific style or aesthetic it's really a pretty broad uh swath of artists and styles that they've invited into their wheelhouse so you know uh as we talk about the various image comics today like we'll touch on a lot of the the new things that they've introduced things that we probably would not have ever gotten to see in Marvel or DC and had it not been for image uh, you know, we, we, we wouldn't be able to experience these comics uh, at all. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I mean, I mentioned earlier that T-Mac as a person and uh, his lasting legacy, uh, you know, from something like spawn probably isn't great. Uh, he he might have birthed a thousand spawn copycats. I can't say that any of them made it as big as him. Uh, but and and I can't say that his followers are people that I necessarily have anything in common with. Uh, you know his his stands or whatever you call them. <laughs> but yeah, but I think wrapped up in that legacy is the is, is the fact that it's bigger than just Spawn or the comics-like Spawn that followed in the years after. Like, the, the bigger uh, part of his legacy, and maybe you could say this was an unintentional consequence of it, was that we did get Image Comics, and because of that, Image Comics, like I was saying earlier, like, we're better off for having image comics the way it is now than to be without it
1: yeah definitely i think i think by some sales metrics image comics is probably the number three american comics publisher Uh in america uh you know after marvel and dc i think if we've I don't know how things will change if if we were to factor in like the book market or, or uh, include things like manga. I don't, they probably would, would drop, but you know, they're, they're a big player. And I think one of the most important things that they offer is from what I know and understand about how they operate. I think they offer the best deal for creators in terms of creator ownership, you know, like yeah. they're, they don't uh, own any of the things that their creators do. So you could, theoretically, someone who comes out with a comic that Image publishes, if somebody comes calling and wants to pay the creators some money to make it a movie, you know, that's directly to the creators. Image isn't going to take a cut or Image isn't going to be the one to dictate the terms of what can be made or not. It's just you know great for the creator
0: yeah it's it's an environment that fosters creativity that encourages creativity exactly
1: exactly because they're they're doing it for themselves and I, i think it's even to the point where it for a lot of image books that don't become big hits i think creators actually can take a loss on those
2: yeah yeah
1: so it it can be a little bit risky, but I think what we see now, I feel like, is a lot of how things have have evolved in like the past 15, 20 years or so, where people who make their name at Marvel or DC end up taking their own creations to Image because now they've got this built-in audience that they know will support them, support their work and once they can do that they don't really need to work at marvel or dc anymore if they can do stuff at image that that is yeah. uh consistent
0: absolutely and even the few people who still you know dabble in marvel and dc like they certainly have more leverage than they would otherwise mhm because hey if if i work for you like it's not a matter of my livelihood anymore uh i don't have to do things your way uh because you know if i don't i don't get to eat or or house myself or whatever um so it's it goes beyond it it gets to a point where you know they i imagine that they can Stand up for themselves just a little bit more and be able to say, You know what? if I don't want to work here, I don't have to work here,
1: yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah, it might be a little bit tougher for those that aren't as established, but I think I think with definitely with writers it's it's probably a little bit easier just because a comic book writer can write multiple comics at once, whereas it's pretty hard for an artist to draw multiple things. So I've I've heard that uh like I I remember listening to some other podcast and Chip Zadarsky was talking about Kaptara and how he basically took a loss on that because not enough people bought the comic. But the money that he did have uh ended up going to pay the artist you know because he was still able zadarsky was able to write other comics at the time, and I think he was already working at marvel um, but I think the artist I want to say it was Kagan McLeod forget, but uh you know he wasn't really able to work on anything else while he was doing Captara, so uh, zadarsky was able to pay him the money. To survive, but overall ended up taking a loss because it just didn't sell enough.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I mean, I guess that's the upside and the downside of that model, which is, you're. You have the creativity, but you're kind of gambling on yourself. But but hey, when it hits, it it hits big. Mm-hmm. Uh, like. Brian K. Vaughn, someone that we talk about a lot on this uh podcast, he uh he's got like some bangers out there. He he put out saga and you know, that's just a juggernaut.
2: Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm.
0: and and I I don't know like I don't know like how much money he makes from his media stuff, but uh, y- we've been seeing his things on on streaming services and on TV quite a bit recently. Yeah, um, Paper Girls. Paper Girls. Why the Last Man had the one season uh, at H. I want to say it was on HBO. But. FX. Oh, you're right. You're right. It's FX. Yeah. So yeah, you know. I again, I don't know. Yeah, but
1: even with Why too, that that's actually a good example because I don't. I don't know uh, what the percentage of creator ownership he has with that is, because that, that was a Vertigo comic, so I think DC might have something Take a chunk in there. out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he might... I don't think he has full creator ownership of why.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. hmm Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any other
1: general thoughts about Image Comics that you want to get off your chest?
0: Uh, No, I think if we make it to the end and if I have anything to say, uh, I'll I'll be sure to find a way to slip it in there. But otherwise, uh, I'm good. Okay. Yeah. So at this point,
1: I think we can share our lists of our own personal favorite Image Comics. How's that sound? Sounds good to me. Okay, so here are the ground rules that we've established. So Albert and I have both selected a baker's dozen of our own personal favorite image comics. So we each came up with our own list of 13 image comics. Um, And in order to qualify it's just got to be something the comic has got to be something that has been published by image in any format, whether it's in issues or trade paperback collections. And as long as it's been published by image at some point or another, it's eligible for the list. And Mm. if it's something that has been published by multiple other publishers, you can only consider the issues or collections specifically published by image comics.
0: I, uh, I probably simplified it even more so for myself. Uh, I basically just looked for anything with the giant eye logo on it. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So that's how I did it. Yep. It's
1: pretty much what I did too. <laughs> so we've yeah. both got our list of 13. I think how we'll do this as we uh, rattle off our list, we'll just alternate. So... I've only I've organized my list in alphabetical order. I didn't do a ranking or anything. I'm guessing at some point in the future if if we live long enough, we'll do our Image top 25 list <laughs> the way that we did our Marvel okay. list and we'll do our DC list. Yep. But yeah, right now in August of 2022, this is just our list of our own 13 favorite Image books of all time. So uh, yeah, I've organized, like I said, organized mine in alphabetical order. Uh, did you do that too, Albert?
0: Uh yeah, cause you told me to. So it it was done so that we could coordinate our list with one another on the off chance that we both put something down uh, so that we don't double dip in our over the course of our discussion.
2: Yeah.
1: So we don't know what the other guy's list looks like. It's all gonna be a surprise. You wanna get started with your first one, Albert?
0: Sure. Uh, Like you said earlier, this wasn't a list that I uh, ranked or gave any sort of ranking to. I just kind of, I'll be honest, I just uh, went to the image website and I looked through their entire archive archives of uh of of comics that they've written up to now and uh my process was to just pick everything that sounded familiar put it on a spreadsheet and then just by process of elimination just remove everything uh based on my gut feeling as i was going so that's how i did it so my first comic that i've chosen is airboy by james robinson Oh. and art by greg hinkle okay so the interesting thing about this is <laughs> I, i've I've been in the process of purging my library lately and it was something that i was looking at and thinking about and i was considering getting r- rid of it it's just like four issues right but this past weekend i was talking with our friend shanis and uh You know, I was just discussing uh, about how I was contemplating getting rid of these comics. And, you know, he just kind of absentmindedly asked me what it was about. And over the course of that discussion with him, I think I came to realize why I enjoyed it in the first place. Mm -hmm. And it just brought all those, uh, my initial feelings towards that comic back up. To the point where i was like oh you know what there was something worthy about that comic book when i first read it where even now all these years later um even though the details aren't super clear to me i still generally have an idea of what it was that i had read so the thing about airboy is it's about a fictionalized version of james robinson Uh, it's a comic where he's writing about himself and it's about him writing a comic book character that comes to life and his interactions with this comic book character. But really the meta story of it is it, it's a story that came out in a time where James Robinson was the guy who wrote the script for the league of extraordinary gentlemen movie. And this was something that was just critically and, uh, Almost universally panned by everyone, and I think it really affected him in a pretty negative way it It might have messed him up pretty badly, actually, to the point where when he wrote this comic it it became a form of therapy for him to work out his inadequacies, you know him being able to interact with this character, interact with fiction in a way that allows him to unpack these feelings uh all these negative feelings that he had just accumulated from this movie that he was associated with that just was so bad you know so i do think it's an interesting piece of work um from what i remember there were some things about it uh that Reading it in twenty two twenty twenty two might not be uh, politically correct or uh, acceptable, but uh, you know what I I I think that as a writer he he had to work some things out, and I don't think that those things disqualify it as a piece of work on its mm-hmm. own. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I would say. So. That's that's the first comic on my list. Airboy, James Robinson and Greg Hinkle.
1: Yeah, that's a good piece of work. I remember reading your comics, your copies of it. It was pretty fun stuff, man, and uh definitely a very biting sense of humor too.
0: Yeah. I think Yeah, I think I just really appreciate talking with Seanus about it. Like I was surprised by how much I remembered about this comic actually Mm -hmm. once once we we talked about it just how much i was able to recall and i think that's the thing that made me decide to put it on the list was there are other things on, on my list that i'd probably say are more recognizable just in terms of uh you know the name recognition of the people that worked on it or just even the title but i certainly can't recall it as vividly as i do as, as i did airboy you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so so there we go take from that what you will yeah what about you drew what's the first comic on your list
1: mine is astro city by kurt busiak brent anderson alex ross so Astro City is something that started in the mid 90s. It's older, and it did go with Wildstorm to DC at at some point uh, in the late 90s. And then uh, I think maybe sometime in the last 10 years, uh, they actually published a, a bunch of issues under the Vertigo imprint at DC before Vertigo died. But recently. I guess Busiek and Anderson must have gotten the rights back because image comics has been publishing these fat collections and it looks like they're going to collect all of it. So yeah, I mean, even if I'm just considering the issues that image published uh, in the earlier time period, these are, those are some of my favorite issues of the series. And I haven't read all of the vertigo era but the early era is great man and for those who need an introduction to astro city it's kurt Busiek's and brent anderson's own version of a superhero universe so it's a total pastiche of everything they love about superhero comics kind of imagine different analogs of your favorite DC and Marvel superheroes and imagine them in this in the same universe you know just with the serial numbers filed off and you get a good mix of thoughtful thought-provoking slice of life kind of stories like there's an issue famously I think it might even be the first issue where it's about the Superman character and just how he when he dreams he dreams that he can fly without being interrupted by emergencies and things like that because his whole life is pretty much spent helping people and saving people with his powers because he just can't bear to ignore somebody in need. But when he does sleep, he dreams about just flying peacefully, you know? So it's like something kind of simple like that, but it's also sort of profound and it's a
0: wistful premise.
1: Yeah, exactly. So there's a, a good amount of stories that are imaginative like that, where they, uh, they'll they take a character that we might recognize and do a story that we would never see in a typical Big 2 comic because it doesn't have enough action or maybe it doesn't advance a, a bigger plot or anything like that. But it's really just these really introspective, intelligent character pieces and mood pieces and uh you know even bits of humor and stuff but he also they also do uh, longer stories too like epic stories um so it's a good mix of like really complex plot oriented stories and also these really intimate thoughtful slice of life kind of stories and even some stories that aren't from the point of view of a superhero but from the point of view of somebody uh who lives in that world so you know it's it's a really imaginative universe where they've created a way to tell any kind of superhero related story it's good stuff man definitely really recommend astro city
0: nice yeah it's a pretty large piece of work from what i remember and You've recommended it to me on several occasions, even to the extent where we, at our various uh, quarter sales or discount, you know, comic book sales, you'll pass over something that you find, and uh, or you'll even, you know, encourage me to buy, uh, take a chance and buy a, a, a an issue here or there. And the stuff I've I have read, it's. You know, it's good. It's thought provoking. It's, it's, uh, I I was gonna say personal, but I don't, you know, I don't know if it's how personal it is for Kurt Busiek, but, uh, -hmm. but, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a piece of
1: him in there. Yeah, exactly. It's sincere.
0: Yeah. So uh, I do think it's a good, it's, they're good comics for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I guess, while we're on the topic of Kurt Busiek, uh, you know, he that's not the only thing that he's written for them. Um, I don't know if this one's on your list, but it, this one's not on my list, but you I just want to talk about it. I just want to talk about it. <laughs> uh, he he did work on another series, which was Autumn Lens. Uh It didn't quite make it on my list, but it's a fun adventure series with uh, talking animals.
1: Yeah, yeah that was a good one too i th- yeah. I think it got prematurely cancelled unfortunately, so I don't know if we've seen the last of it
0: yeah i don't I, I i found all the issues in uh various quarter bins and I collected everything that they did have. I did read it, and uh yeah, it does end on a cliffhanger so it's it's definitely a thing where I think I told myself that like with a lot of image comics. It's a situation where, you know, the writers take whatever time off they need to take, and then at some point they come back to it when they can. But like, what's it called? After
1: enough time has passed, sometimes it just means it's over. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. But I was gonna say, like, I think Aerosmith just came back with a sequel pretty recently. That was that was a pretty big gap for that, wasn't That's
1: there? That's true. That's
0: true. So, you know.
1: It ain't over till it's over. Exactly. Let me ask you something, man. If if Autumn Lands comes back, will you support it by buying it off the rack or will you wait for it to hit the sale bins? <laughs> uh
0: so Okay. So like I said, it didn't quite make it on my list. <laughs> if it does come back i'm probably just gonna get it off the sale bins if i had to be perfectly honest yeah yeah, yeah. it's a good series i just i don't think it's a series i love quite that much
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah
0: so there we go
1: okay so what's the <laughs> actual second thing
0: on your list so this is where i reveal that in in putting my list together i did I, I did cheat a little bit in the sense that, you know Cheater. <laughs> I, I took liberties with what I decided was was going to be on the list. Uh so uh this is an example of it where what I've chosen isn't necessarily something that I loved that much, but I put it on the list because It highlights a writer and their work, and I I think overall their body of work should be something to check out at Image, if that makes any sense. That is a (laughs) cheat. It is. It is. But, uh, you know, I, I feel like my personal take on our podcast is I'm here to uh share the love of comics with everyone so i do want to try to shine a light on comics that might not always get a lot of attention or as much attention on on things so so all that to say that the the comic on my list my number two is casanova by matt fraction and drawn by fabio moon and gabriel ba so this is a series of mini series um and i think uh fabio moon and gabriel ba are terrific artists their art on the book is just wonderful uh it's a comic book that's about a a super spy and just the various adventures that he goes on and it's got this really like psychedelic pop feel to it uh mm-hmm. except kind of contemporary mm-hmm. um it's another series where I don't know if it's even going on anymore. I think after their last one, they might be on hiatus or they just might be done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. But I wanted to also take this as a segue into uh, another book by Fraction, which is Odyssey, which was written by him and drawn by Christian Ward. And that was another interesting comic. I don't think I was... Entertained by it, I I wouldn't even I I don't even know if I was real if I could even say that I really enjoyed it, but I do think it was an interesting thought exercise of a comic, in that it's uh it's basically Matt Fraction doing a gender bent version of a futuristic telling of the Odyssey story, mm-hmm. so. It's it's another comic that also didn't get finished. Uh I think yeah, uh it just ended kind of on a on a cliffhanger with the promise that they would come back to it someday, but
1: Oh, okay. I didn't realize that.
0: Yeah, but I think as a thought exercise, as an experiment, as an experimental piece of work as, you know, as art with a capital A like you were saying, I do think it's an interesting uh a comic book that has stuff to say about just gender and you know our perceptions of it so yeah it's 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 an interesting book and it's yeah it's it's worth checking out i'd say mm-hmm. but your actual
1: number two choice was casanova yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> i kind of got lost in the matt fraction Weeze there for a second yeah, I, I, was, I guess... I'm, waiting, I'm still waiting for you to say something about sex criminals.
0: <laughs> I haven't read that one, so <laughs> that's that's why I couldn't bring it up. But he did do sex criminals. I think that was with Zdarsky, or Yeah, Zdarsky as artist. Yeah, so... And I know that, you know, you, you've got good things to say about Zdarsky, so... Z- there we go. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I was waiting to see where you were going with that. You, you didn't (laughs) let me down.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You like that?
1: I do, I do, I enjoy it. You tickled me. Uh, What you got? Second on my list is Criminal by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. And I guess since you did it, I'm gonna cheat too because all of the stuff that they've done together is straight up gold. Nice. Yeah, like they've done a lot of things together. Uh, we've talked about Criminal on our podcast before when we were doing our Marvel Top 25. But Criminal being a creator-owned work, they, you know, brought it back to Image or brought it to Image, and Image has not only published new issues and installments of Criminal, but also reprinted all of the older stuff from Icon as well in really nice-looking hardcovers and trade paperback collections criminal is a crime story probably or i guess i would say it's a crime series it's a shared universe about various types of crimes and criminals i think it's gotta be like one of the best crime comics ever like i don't really know uh who wouldn't say that it's one of the best crime comics and it's uh as good as all their other stuff that I now I would recommend their other image work together. They also did Fatal, The Fade Out, Kill or Be Killed, Pulp. Currently they're doing a series of hardcover graphic novels called Reckless. It's the Reckless series. So yeah, I mean, it's Brubaker and Phillips. Not a whole lot, much more to say to that. They're just fantastic together. Sean Phillips is probably my favorite artist and brubaker's always been one of my favorite writers
0: i got a quick question for you what you got so fatal is spelled with a e at the end yeah okay okay so that's that's the thing that just makes it gives it a distinction over fatal
1: yes oh okay. fatal uh
0: you know like fa- fa- fatal fatal, fatality fatality <laughs> <laughs> what do you speak english <laughs> do you know <nose> words
1: <laughs> or are you just or are you just asking me about the word or is there a comic book called fatal
0: oh no i was just asking about the word I, oh okay like, <laughs> I, 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 I think were... i was i was like i wonder why he doesn't pronounce it fatal and then i was like oh okay, i guess there's an e at the end so yeah like the go. word
1: like the the term femme fatale
0: yeah 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 okay yeah. there we go all right sounds good i just had to confirm that that was the case
1: yeah you know it's uh one of those words that's kind of like the word debris where you have to pronounce the s <laughs>
0: exactly exactly <laughs>
1: <laughs> what's next on your list albert
0: <clears throat> okay this is something that we've talked about on uh, on the podcast before, but I still think it's worth mentioning. And I this one I do genuinely like. And this is "I Killed Giants" by Joe Kelly and Ken mm, Nomura. So, great choice. Yeah. So this is a miniseries. I think I generally tend to gravitate towards miniseries before because one, like I just don't. As I get older, I don't know if I'm I, I have the the patience anymore to to stick to comics that just go on forever. Um but yeah, it's an eight issue series about a young woman who is going through a pretty tumultuous time in her life. She's got a sick family member that she's dealing with, but to the rest of the world, she just seems like an eccentric little girl. And in her mind, uh she's living this life where she and she alone is the only person who can stand up to these giants that are on their way to destroying her hometown. So it's it's a pretty complex story that weaves elements of fantasy as well as uh, intricate family drama into into this one singular narrative. Um, it's got great artwork by Ken Nomura. I just recently read a, a, a comic... I, I don't know. Would you call it a manga? Which one? Um, uh, I forget the name of it. I I just read it recently, but I'm just oh, saying, I, I like I think
1: I remember which one you're talking about. I think that technically can be called a manga because I think he published it in Japan. Okay.
0: All right. So yeah. So it's a comic slash manga that he did. Uh, I I'll pull it up on my hoopla, but he's he's got a cool anime or manga style that it it it's definitely has flourishes of uh manga that you recognize but it's also uniquely his own i'd say you know
2: mm-hmm. um,
0: so it's a pretty good comic about it's got uh you know uh, it's a it's a collection of short stories but yeah um i think i kill giants is uh, a pretty great personal story and uh yeah it's called henshin yeah so uh henshin was the 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 comic that kendamura did on his own but uh mm-hmm. anyway all that to say that i kill giants is a wonderful story about you know just family and growing up and in turmoil and i do believe we did an episode about it uh or if not an entire episode we included it in one of our recommendations i think
1: yeah, yeah. I think when we were talking about our fantasy comics, I want to say. I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, speaking of Ken Nishimura, I did read a Ken Nimura comic, a collection of his stories, a couple months ago. It's called "Never Open It: The Taboo Trilogy." It's not published by Image. I forget who the publisher was, but it's three stories that are based. Or inspired upon inspired by Japanese folklore and they're all stories about characters uh, not opening a box or something that they're not supposed to open, but they end up opening it and you know face consequences as a result. That was a good piece of work, so I would I would recommend looking it up never open it the taboo trilogy Oh, it was published by yen press.
0: Oh nice nice yeah, cool all right. What's next on your list, Drew? Third on
1: my list is Glory by Joe Keatinge and Ross Campbell. Nice. Yeah. So Glory is <laughs> a Rob Liefeld character. <laughs> she's a it all Rob comes Liefeld. back around. Yep. She's a Rob Liefeld character that he came up with back in the early 90s when Image was getting started. She's basically a ripoff of Wonder Woman. So she's except I guess her thing is that she's not just an Amazon, but she's half Amazon, half demon, all warrior. <laughs> yeah. Take that Wonder Woman. Exactly. <laughs> so she's just the super strong character that can fight. And I guess from uh when when Rob Liefeld created her. I don't, I don't never read those comics. They had some pretty awful art. Uh, I just knew that she was a ripoff of Wonder Woman. But in the 2010s, I think, yeah, it might have been about 10 years now. 10 years ago, Joe Keatinge, he ended up relaunching uh, Glory, and he was the writer and Ross Campbell, or I guess Ross Campbell is now known as Sophie Campbell. Uh, They ended up doing this reimagined take on glory. So they continued the old numbering. So if you look for it, it's, it's actually not glory. Number one, it's glory number 23 and it goes up to issue 34 where they came up with this new vision or a new take on, on the character and gave her a new backstory. Uh, I think, Some of the exact details are a bit vague to me because it's been a few years since I've read it, but I always had great feelings about it. But the, the idea was that Glory was in this state of flux and she was changing or transforming or mutating, however you want to call it. She was dealing with these physical changes and also met this young girl who ended up becoming like this important figure in her life. It was a superhero story that was more than just your typical punch some bad guys kind of story like it was a story that had i think it had a lot of things to say about what it means to change and transform and be something that you were not originally created to be which i think is a pretty metafictional concept considering this is glory we're talking about right right you know like They've told a story that illustrated the idea of what it means to be this figure that was originally created for this one purpose. You know, just a cash grab as a knockoff of Wonder Woman. Mm -hmm. And it's a story about what it means to be more than what you were originally created to be. Artwork is awesome. Campbell's stuff is just beautiful to look at. And yeah, Sophie Campbell's currently doing um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for IDW, which I think is oh. a super underrated superhero comic right now. Like, definitely one of the best ones currently ongoing.
0: Nice. Yeah. yeah. It was a... I remember after you read it, very quickly thereafter, you you recommended it pretty highly to me, and I... I in short order was able to find all my copies in the discount bins as well and I was able to put together a run of my own. Um so I did read it and it almost made it onto the list but not quite. It just got edged out just by other things unfortunately. So
1: the the real question is are yeah. you going to keep your issues?
0: Oh no, that that's something I've just definitely decided to keep. Okay, that's, okay, that's, I feel like
1: that's the real test of whether you like something or not, Albert. I, I feel like anytime you keep a comic after you read it, that's a badge of honor.
0: Yeah, I actually fully agree with that. I'm definitely at a point in my life now where I'm not about clutter. so, uh, in my assessment of of my comics of the things that I've read, i I often find myself asking, myself whether uh whether what i just read is something that i would read again something that i would flip through something that i would hold on to um and that and you're right that really is the test for me and <laughs> and with glory uh i will say that i that's definitely something that i'm gonna hold on to from what i remember uh you ended up finding your hardcover at the green apple for like ridiculously cheap it might have been like eight or ten bucks or something like that
1: yeah i'd I'd have to look i think it might have been around eight bucks but it was crazy cheap and i just stumbled upon it yeah so that was definitely one of the best things i've found as a as a cheap comic
0: yeah that's awesome yeah and and the weird thing was it wasn't like it had been out that long either
1: yeah it was still pretty new and really good condition too
0: yeah yeah so
1: it was the first thing I ever read from Joe Keatinge. I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. It could be Joe Keating, but there's an E at the end of it. So I, yeah. I, I'm not sure. For all I know, it could be Joe Keatinge. Yeah. So uh, but well, regardless, it, yeah, he's a great writer. I've based read some on of what, his other
0: stuff. Based on what we were talking about earlier with Fatal, uh, we, we, we need to pronounce it differently with the E, right?
1: Yeah. So... Joe Kiatingue <laughs>
0: <laughs> Right, right, right.
1: Yeah. I'm going to shout out one of his other comics from Image that I liked a lot too, which is Shudder. Shudder. Uh, he did that with Lila Del Duca. It's a, an awesome adventure s- story. I think it's only about 30 issues, but I, I read that one pretty early in the pandemic when I wasn't working, and I liked it a lot. Yeah. yeah
0: he's a good writer he also did uh ringside i don't remember who the artist on that was but oh something where i'm still missing a couple of issues and once i find those issues i can give those a good read yeah that was a good one too yeah well next up on my list uh well i'm gonna admittedly go in a different direction here you you uh, just mentioned that Glory was was more than just a rock 'em sock 'em beat 'em up comic. Uh, I'm gonna lean into that here, and I'm gonna say that my pick is probably more in line with just a mindless beat 'em up comic. But I had fun, and in this case, that was more than enough for me. So I'm gonna go with Jupiter's Legacy by Mark Miller and Frank Quitely.
1: Nice man.
0: Yeah, uh, Mark Miller is, you know, an old favorite of mine. Uh, I'll I'll have to admit that in recent years, maybe my love for his work isn't quite as strong or as fresh as it used to be when, you know, I was reading uh, the Ultimates or whatever. But Jupiter's Legacy is a fun adventure story, uh, fun superhero adventure story. And the Frank Quietly art definitely helps a lot. Uh, For a while, it felt like that was going to be kind of his big superhero empire, but Mm -hmm. uh, he was putting out quite a few uh, miniseries and sequel series associated with it. They even came out with that one season on Netflix, Um, but I don't really feel like we've seen much out of it recently. Uh, It's essentially a story about what it's like to live in a world where... You don't just have superheroes, but you have, like, dynasties of superheroes, you know? Yeah. And they just kind of exist, and what these families of superheroes would be like, and what their kids would be like. And, uh, you know, it's just a story about how, I guess, ultimately, family struggles become struggles for the world when, Mm -hmm. when, when you extrapolate it when you extrapolate those conflicts onto a larger stage right mm-hmm. and just the the fight for that as uh as as these as the uh what's the word as the kids of of older superheroes think that they know better and they try to do better or not even do better but they try to you know they think that they know better and they just act on those impulses, and they don't necessarily end up actually doing better. In fact, they end up doing a whole lot worse, you know?
1: Yeah, kids ruin the future, man.
0: Yeah, (laughs) kids are the future, my butt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I thought that this would be a good opportunity to segue into just Mark Miller's overall – I don't know if he's he's done anything if 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 you included him on your list at all. Do you want me to tell you
1: if I have or not?
0: I have a sneaking suspicion that I know what it is that you put. Okay. What did I put? Was it Starlight? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's on my list. <laughs> yeah, because I I did make a second ca- uh you know kind of a my my list branched off from from that into other works that he did and uh, Starlight by Mark Miller was I, what what I branched off into, but we we can talk about that when we get to it. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. What you got? Or did you wanna say anything about it?
1: About Jupiter's legacy. Yeah. I think I only read it one time. There there have been what, two Jupiter's legacy books and a couple of Jupiter Circle
0: books. Yeah, I think I wanna say there's exactly like Two two in that series, maybe even three in the Jupiter's Legacy, and then two in the Jupiter Circle.
1: Yeah, I have I think I have a couple I think I have two in the Jupiter Circle series just because I found them for super cheap. But that's something where I feel like I'd need to reread it from the beginning because I feel like too much time passed in between volumes that I kind of forgot all the stuff that was going on. Yeah. But Frank Quietly is definitely super high up there in terms of my favorite artists. Yeah. And I I do remember that series being fun.
0: Yeah, it's a fun adventure series. And I will say that Mark Miller is a guy who's known for being pretty sadistic about how he treats his characters. And there were points in that book where I was like, oh, man, what's he going (laughs) to (laughs) do? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Uh, uh, I, I won't spoil... How it ends or anything, but I, I will say that the note that it ended on it, it left me feeling better about what I'd read. <laughs> it left know? you
1: feeling better.
0: Uh, yeah, in, in in this in the sense that by the time I was done, I didn't feel worse about it. <laughs> I didn't feel I didn't feel worse about humanity for it. Okay, you know.
1: Okay, that uh, counts for something.
0: Yeah, he's also yeah, and his Mark Miller's work is pretty ex expansive in the image uh universe yeah,
1: he's got the miller line it's a whole
2: miller
0: bunch of world, stuff there yeah the miller yeah. world um i think one of the notable ones recently was uh well i mean he, he it's just so much stuff but they're,
1: yeah he's constantly churning stuff out plus he has that deal with netflix yeah 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 so they're they're uh i guess they're kind of mining his comics as ip as yeah. gross as that sounds, but that's basically <laughs> what they're doing.
0: Yeah. Well, we were talking about Jim Lee being a sellout. I, I think it's fair to say Mark Miller's... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he's a sellout in the sense that he'll, you know, sell you out from underneath you or anything like that, but <laughs> he he doesn't mind making a buck.
2: Yeah, yeah. He, I-, I
1: definitely don't think Mark Miller's a sellout. He's just a guy who's making money, you know? He's gotta be one of the most financially successful guys in comics in recent years yeah, yeah like he's up there probably with like Kirkman or somebody like that yeah just because of this yeah like all the stuff that people have made movies based on his work yeah uh, whether it's Kick-Ass or People's yeah. Legacy or all the the yeah, you,
0: Netflix stuff you're right like Kirkman he's 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 definitely a guy that leveraged his success at the big two Yeah, just went off on his... I guess, in a sense, he's kind of a perfect fit for Image, when you think about it that way.
1: Totally, man. Oh, yeah, there was uh, Super Crooks. Netflix made an anime based on Super Crooks.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Forgot about that. I should check that out at some point. And they made a bunch of those... uh, The Kingsman into a movie. Oh, yeah, that's right. Quite a few movies. Uh, The Magic Order is coming out Mm -hmm. as a series, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. So... You know, he's he's got a whole bunch of things coming up for him and
1: Oh, don't forget about Wanted. Good old wanted. Good old wanted. Yep. That was something that I was considering to put on my list, but I figured I would only limit it to one Miller comic and Starlight won
0: out. Yeah. Well, you didn't cheat like I did. <laughs> <laughs> my my inclusion of these specific comics aren't always like I said, because they're my favorite, but as but more to the point there's just a segue for me to talk about other comics (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, what you got
1: next one on my list is godland by joe casey and tom scioli and i've said it quite often on this podcast that joe casey is one of my two favorite comic book writers right up there with peter milligan like those are the two guys whose work i just buy everything they do uh as much as possible. No matter what it is, I don't even have to know who the artist is. I don't have to know what it's about. If it's got their name on it, I'm just going to buy it. No questions asked. And Godland is a really great series, which I have to admit, I still haven't read the ending of it. I've probably read like the first three trades four or five times, but it just took me a while to get the rest of it. There's even a part of me that wishes that I had just held out and bought the hardcovers instead because now they're out of print and really hard to find. Yeah, at some point I'm going to sit down and do a proper reread and finish off reading Godland. It's a homage to cosmic superheroes. That's what it is. It's yeah. Tom Scioli's art is clearly reminiscent of Jack Kirby's cosmic stuff. And there's also a tinge of some Jim Starlin cosmic stuff in the stories. Basically, what Godland is about is this character named Adam Archer who... Uh, At some point before the beginning of the series, he's exposed to some alien entities and gets transformed into this kind of cosmic power, cosmic being with special powers. And then he goes back to Earth um, because he was an astronaut and he has these new cosmic senses and abilities. And then as time progresses, by the time we start the series, he's basically become a famous superhero and he... He works uh, alongside his his sisters, he's got three sisters, so they're kind of like the Fantastic Four, and they just work together uh, using his powers and various bits of technology to, to fight uh, various threats, including super villains and uh, robots and zombies and just bizarre things. And, you know, that's the general premise of the plot. And I think like any true cosmic comic, as the series progresses, it goes into these kind of really imaginative and heady ideas. But it's, yeah, it's, it's one of the best works from one of my favorite writers and the artwork is awesome. But uh, since you've been using your list as a launch pad to talk about a bunch of other comics too, I do (laughs) want to say that Joe Casey's done a ton of stuff at image so all of his comics, man, I would I would definitely recommend them. Like he did uh, Butcher Baker, Righteous Maker, mm. which I would describe as the comic of his that's most similar to something like Automatic Kafka, which he did at Wildstorm when they were uh, already under DC. But Butcher Baker is a great piece of work, artwork by Mike Huddleston. It's about this kind of washed up, all-american hero who uh gets a chance for one more mission and a return to glory except you know it, it's not quite as like clean cut or straightforward as that it's it's a really metaphysical trippy kind of work that has a lot of commentary about various things uh, outside of the typical battles that you see i really recommend that it's a lot of fun comics that he's He's done like Officer Down and Nixon's Pals with Chris Burnham. Those are great. Uh, another one of my favorites that almost made my list was Code Flush, which was drawn by Charlie Adlard. Mm. That one was about this uh, bail bond kind of bounty hunter guy who just put on a mask to hunt down the, the criminals that were breaking <laughs> parole or whatever you call it. That was a great piece of work. Just, yeah, man. Like, I I think Joe Casey's got a good enough career where uh, he doesn't really need comics because he's got his other stuff going on with Man of Action. So whenever he does do comics, he usually just does a Mad Image.
2: Mm.
1: So, yeah, like, more recent things like Sex or The Bounce, Valhalla Mad, 1975. Like, all of his stuff is just so much fun and has a lot to say like there's a lot of subtext in his work but there's also fun plots that you can just enjoy for what they are on the surface if you don't really want to think super hard about what you're reading mm. i just love that dude man he's my <laughs> one of my favorite writers
0: nice nice yep uh yeah i mean i uh i I imagined that Joe Casey was gonna show up at some point on your list, so this this isn't too much of a surprise. I guess I was just curious as to which Joe Casey comic. So there yeah. we go.
1: Yeah, yeah, it it could have been one out of any five or six of my favorites of his. Like even some of his older work that uh was published by other publishers has been published at Image in recent years. Like I I think of something like the Milkman Murders, which was yeah. a, a a twisted suburban horror story. That yeah. was originally a Dark Horse comic, but uh, Image Comics did do a hardcover of it a couple of years ago, which is a really nice addition to own. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, yeah. All right.
1: Nice. What's next on your list, man?
0: So this one... uh, This one's a little odd because we, we just talked about it fairly recently, so I... I it feels funny to talk about it again so soon, but mm-hmm. uh, I think from a purely emotional place, I will say that this this book did mean a lot to me, and and again, I took it as an opportunity to cheat, and I just decided I'll include it on my list, but it'll just be a chance, it'll just be a chance to talk about uh, his other works. But I decided to put Paper Girls by Brian K. Vaughan and Cliff Chang on the list. Mm-hmm. We just talked about it, like, a couple of episodes back, and even then, uh, when we were talking about it on the podcast, I'm pretty sure I told you that it might have been my favorite thing from Brian K. Vaughn. Maybe this is recency bias, but even now, the these this couple of weeks later, after having read it, I will say that my, my feelings on it are still pretty high. I still really enjoy it. If you want to know about it, feel free to check out our episode on Paper Girls, uh, the series. Mm-hmm. Um but I thought it'd be a good segue to talk about Brian K. Vaughn's other works, uh, with, uh, Image. Um, you know, some of his lesser known stuff, uh, we, we have talked about Saga in the past. We did an entire episode on that as well. But I thought I'd talk about some of his lesser known things, like The Private Eye by, with, uh, him and Marcos Martin and, um, Munsa Vicente, um, you know that's that's also a pretty cool comic that he did uh that takes a pretty dystopian look at i guess whatever this the the logical uh dystopian uh world social media will lead us to yeah is i think that's a uh, that's a fair way to put it uh it's it's a world in which you know people hide behind uh just these, I don't don't masks. Know, yeah, I was gonna say like a glamour or something like that, but yeah, it's essentially a world where we're all we're constantly just living in anim- anonymity behind these technological masks, and just how it disconnects us from other people, and you know, questions whether technology is a good thing or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing that I, you know, put on my Branch out list was, we stand on guard. Uh, that was something that I th- I believe we talked about a little bit in uh, one of our other episodes about dystopian futures. Uh, was that
1: was that your recommendation for uh, a war a science fiction comic? I forget.
0: Might have been a war comic.
1: No, I don't think we did a war comic recommendation. Okay, okay.
0: Episode. But you're right. It might have been science fiction then. Yeah, but. Yeah, that's something where, you know, I do think it's Brian K. Vaughn's take on just, you know. On um, Canada? (laughs) Well, I was going to say on the concept of imperialism and terrorism and just, you know, what happens when when you oppress a people's uh, and the idea that really anything, it's really about conditions and anything can make anyone a terrorist. But yeah, so that's uh those are my that was my my next pick.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Well, my next pick isn't really gonna require very much discussion because we've already said a whole lot about it in the past. But number five on my list is Invincible by Robert Kirkman, Cory Walker, Ryan Otley. So yeah, last year we did a full read through of the entire series, Invincible. And that was uh, 144 issues or uh, 12 hardcovers. So we basically read one volume per month in 2021. And uh, yeah, for all of you fine listeners, if you haven't checked out those episodes or the comic book series, then I I would definitely recommend it. Um, I don't know. Not a whole lot much more else to say about Invincible other than I'm glad we took the time last year to read through it all
0: yeah for sure um you know robert kirkman's a big name he he's doing a lot of stuff over there at image um uh, but yeah invincible is i think easily in the big two of the things that he's known for
2: yeah exactly
0: yeah, yeah. so uh yeah i'm glad we dedicated an entire year to that um yeah it was good stuff
1: mm-hmm. next on your list albert
0: I okay, so this is another one that I cheated on because I didn't actually. I've been noticing read it.
1: you've been cheating a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna go and say it. My entire list is one just one giant cheat, but <laughs> but this one's uh, Proximus Atari by Farrell Feral Feral Dalrymple. He's someone that we talked about quite a bit because uh, we talked about uh, we did an episode on Omega the Unknown in our 25. Uh, top 25 uh, Marvel comics of all time. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, we just thought, uh, you know, he's someone whose artwork that I like a lot. And uh, even though I have the issues and they're on my list to read, um, I just haven't gotten around to it. Uh, His stories don't always make the most sense. But the thing about it is, it's really about the surrealist aspect of his storytelling you know that's Mm -hmm. the thing that makes it so interesting the fact that it's just i don't really know how to describe it i want to say it's like magical realism or something like that where you just kind of have to throw a certain logic out the window and just accept that the world is that his world is as unique and as bizarre as it is and non-linear you know yeah and uh and the other reason that this is a cheat was I – one of the comics that I did want to talk about was actually Profit by Brandon Graham, and Feral, Feral Dalrymple did do some work on that book. And it's – I'll admit that it's a good series, but Brandon Graham is uh, a – A bad kind person. Of, he's a bad person. He did a bad thing, and I don't feel super comfortable recommending him, so – I couldn't, in good conscience, recommend uh, his Prophet comic. It, like that Glory comic, it was something where they took an older property uh, after several years and they revisited it and put it in a new light and told a new story with it. And the artwork was fantastic for it, but yeah, I just I just didn't have it in me to uh, you know recommend it or talk about it, but.
1: Here we because, are talking about it.
0: <laughs> well, here we are talking about it, but I will say that Farrell Delrymple did do some work on it, so I thought that uh, talking about Proxima Centauri would be a better segue. I I could highlight a better uh, another book that I could feel good about highlighting while segueing into Profit, but mm-hmm. not really.
1: Yeah. yeah. I haven't read Proxima Centauri, so I'll have to check that out from you at some point.
0: Yeah, I uh, actually uh, I I talked to Farrell Jaremple very briefly when I went to that Seattle Comic Con a couple of years back, and uh, that was at that time I think he had just finished Proxima Centauri, and uh, we 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 posted up on our Instagram the interview that I did with Tim Tim Sale, and it was at that same show where I did interview him as well, and maybe one of these days I'll post that interview up there as well. But mm-hmm. he's uh he seemed like a cool dude.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: I do like his artwork quite a bit.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. What you got next?
1: My next book is a series that is still currently ongoing, so it's not over yet. And I've only read about half of it so far because I'm waiting for the next hardcover. But the series is Monstrous by... Marjorie Lou and Sana Takeda. It's a series that is a dark fantasy story and also kind of a steampunk story. It's set in this uh, kind of Asian-inspired steampunk kind of world uh, that's also a matriarchal world. And it's about this character named Micah Halfwolf, who's a teenage girl that shares her body with this monster like a mysterious monster and there's a war between two different factions i think one of them is uh they look like humans but i think they're some other kind of race uh and they, they're they fighting against these sorceresses that consume them for their energy and uh half Halfwolf gets kind of caught up in between these two warring factions but really all she wants is to avenge her mom so uh yeah like the, her thing uh is that her link with the monster uh means that sometimes when she undergoes uh emotional trauma or or experiences some kind of uh emotionally heightened situation this monster will Come out of her severed arm because she's I think she's got one arm and uh the monster just comes out of it and takes over her body and you know, can wreak a lot of havoc. So there's like this tension between her trying to see if she can use this monster for her for her own goals, or if this monster is just gonna spiral out of control and mess her up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a really great story, man. Like, that's something that I found the hardcover for fairly cheap at one point. But I think when the next hardcover comes, I'm just going to get it as soon as it comes out because I like it a lot. Artwork is just beautiful. Like, yeah, if you look at Sana Takeda's art, it's just great stuff. Like, very ornate, richly detailed. Her people so expressive and as far as the writing goes i think this is marjorie lou's best work at least in comics and it yeah it's it's won a bunch of awards too so i think they're all well deserved
0: very cool yeah the the artwork does really jump out at me i haven't had a chance to read it myself but at some point you know like, like all the stuff that you're gonna need to borrow from me to check out, there's just as much stuff that I gotta check out on your end. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. maybe once it's done, if wait. It ever did you
1: just done. say you want to check out
0: my rear end? No, I said on your end.
1: Oh, okay, okay.
0: I'm hearing <laughs> things. I'm hearing things. We're we're currently doing this podcast at one in the morning, so <laughs> <laughs> we're we're
1: in our third hour now.
0: So yeah, yeah. So. You know, we we might be a little loopy. <laughs> <laughs> but that being said, um, uh, yeah, I I maybe when it's finally done at some point, uh, I'll just go on a big fat binge and just read check out all of your hardcovers, dude.
2: Mhm, mhm.
0: Yeah. The next one on my list is uh, is Rock Candy Mountain by Kyle Starks, Ooh. uh, written and drawn by him. Uh, so the thing is, Kyle Starks is someone that I've came across originally from the Rick and Morty comics. Uh, I remember, I've never been a person who is too big on comics based on existing properties. Uh, I, I I, don't know. I just don't really ever feel like they capture the essence or the spirit of whatever, whatever the original source material is. And yet you know. I've
1: seen you buy dozens upon dozens of Buffy and Angel comics.
0: I know, but that's... I think that's I think I I do that because honestly I do that out of loyalty because I want I think there's a part of me that hopes and wishes that if it does well enough maybe not, not necessarily that it'll come back in some way keep it alive. Okay. But, okay. But that being said, like I I generally do not go out of my way or I don't have a lot of faith in uh in, in uh, IP comics, you know? Mm-hmm. Licensed but, comics? Licensed comics, sorry, yeah. But I remember reading uh, the Rick and Morty comics that Kyle Starks did, and I thought those were comics that were pretty true to the spirit of Rick and Morty. You know, say what you will about what you think of that show overall, but I, I thought that Kyle Starks was a pretty funny dude. I thought he was pretty introspective and. So when I found out that he was doing Rock Candy Mountain for uh, image I I decided to check it out and I was not disappointed. It's I don't think it's an overly complex story. It's but it it is something that it is something that uh speaks to his sensibilities which is he he enjoys telling these sort of grindhouse action stories um and what Rock Candy Mountain is uh, about is it's about a <laughs> – it's a hobo who makes a deal <laughs> with a devil, and the deal ends up screwing him over, obviously, right? Yeah, And never make a,
1: a deal with the devil.
0: Yeah, but as a result of the deal, he wanders the uh, – you know, he wanders America uh, trying to find a way to make it into heaven so that he can be with his family again, and – Part of his deal uh, with the devil is that no matter what happens, he is unable to lose a fight with any man. So he knows hobo kung fu. (laughs) (laughs) And the other thing about it, uh, about this comic that's kind of cool is, you know, it's, it's Colin Stark's take on, I guess, American mythology. uh, Or, or, or the, the mythology of Americana, you know? Yeah. So it it's something that's steeped in a in a very specific time period in in the industrial age of America where I guess it romanticizes uh that entire era and that entire period mm. but builds upon the existing mythology of of that era mm-hmm. and at the end of each issue there are like fake articles or little bits and pieces that talk about what hobo life is about, what the difference between a hobo and a bum is, uh, you know. <laughs> What's the difference? Uh, I forget. I, I'd have to go back and check it out. But I think the difference between a hobo and a bum, according to Kyle Starks or whatever source that he pulled it from. Hobos if it's travel? Even, yeah, exactly. If it's even real at all. Hobos travel for work and bums don't. Okay. Yeah. Got it. But he, he does inject these little bits of things at the end of each book and again i don't know if they're real or not if if they're based on his extensive research or if he just made it up to add a little bit of color and flavor to the story but yeah they're just like little uh fake or real articles that uh add little bits of information that just add to the world building that he's built for you know the kung fu fighting hobo in his story. <laughs> mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: but I haven't read that one, but I have a question for you, Albert. Sure, shoot. If I enjoyed Hobo with a Shotgun, will I enjoy Rock Candy Mountain?
0: I think so. I think okay, so. Okay, okay. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's quite as gratuitous uh, in its use of violence as uh, Hobo with a Shotgun, because... Uh, I'm guessing there's no scene where <laughs> they... <laughs>
1: decapitate a guy and a lady in a bikini starts to marinate in the blood spurting as a geyser from his neck the you mean
0: the blood fountain that his his neck yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing like that but uh yeah there's nothing quite like that on or on that level but i i'd say that the way that kyle starks draws is it's very simplified and uh, it's almost cartoony i think if someone was to look at it and you know look at it and say that it was reminiscent of like a YA comic or uh, a Cal art sort of style, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that they were wrong. It is a style that I do enjoy. It's kind of car- yeah, it's cartoony, you know. But that being said, uh, Kyle Starks has done quite a bit of comics for Image as well. Uh, I haven't gotten all of them, but i I've, i'm slowly trying to collect what i can of his of his works with image so he did uh i gotta double check this because we had this conversation last week and we i don't think we ever resolved it but i think he, it was called Assassination nation or assassin a, assassin assassin nation i forget okay. <laughs> <laughs> but this was something that he worked on with uh, a regular collaborator of his by the name of Erica Henderson I did read uh his other comic which was The Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton. That was kind of a fun romp of a story. It was another comic that was about I don't I don't even know how to describe it. Okay, it's a murder mystery. It's it's a murder mystery involving a high profile like movie star and it involves his six sidekicks and it's uh and it's about them coming together to solve his murder mystery. But the thing about it is the guy is just such an awful person that each of the sidekicks has a reason to hate him mm-hmm. and they have a reason to kill him. And it's about them going on this journey together to figure out who the the uh, murderer is and, I guess, taking the one thing that they have in common and building a foundation from it, you know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And the funny thing is it it does that thing again where Kyle Starks takes a certain segment of American subculture and builds upon it, does some world building on it. So like this, this particular comic I think uh, focuses on like trucker culture.
2: (laughs) Okay.
0: You know, so it, it has them fighting off gangs of like, trucker ninjas or something like that (laughs) it's pretty absurdist but it's it's a fun read yeah that's pretty absurd yeah and the most recent thing that he's been working on is a, a horror comic called i hate this place i don't really know anything about it but i was looking at it and i do think he's doing something a little different with art in that book where it's not it's nowhere near as cartoony as rock candy mountain he's drawing it too He's, uh, that's a good question, actually. I don't think he is drawing it. You're right, you're right. But it is good art. It is art by Lee Luridge. Oh, yeah, Lee L- Luridge. I don't even know if I'm familiar. Oh, isn't he a colorist? Maybe the artist is Artyom Toplin. Yeah, Artyom Toplin. It's pretty good looking art from what I've seen. Uh, kind of makes
1: sense that Kyle Starks would try his hand at horror because comedy is a pretty hard genre to pull off in comics i think yeah and i think horror is even tougher so if he can pull off comedy successfully i don't see why he can't do a horror comic
0: yeah but i do think that he i've been watching a lot of youtube videos on on horror movies lately and there there is something about a specific strain or or a specific kind of horror that's pretty comedic uh, at its core, you know, Mm, mm -hmm. especially, especially like schlocky horror. Mm. So if you told me that that's what he was aiming for, that sounds about right, you know? Yeah. So that's my, I don't, I don't even know what number we're on. Five, nine, eight, nine. That's my number nine. How can that
1: be number nine? I thought I I think I'm only on number
0: seven. Eight. That was number eight for me then. Okay. Yeah.
1: You sure? Because I'm on number seven. You're Uh, killing me, Albert.
0: No, that's number eight for me. I'm I'm looking at my list. That's number eight. But yeah, keep going.
1: (laughs) Okay. Uh, My next one is Powers by Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Avon Oming. Powers is something that has been published by a bunch of different people because it started at Image, then it went to Marvel Comics under the Icon imprint. And then a few years ago, Bendis took his entire Jinx World creator online to DC Comics. And then last year, it moved over to Dark Horse Comics. So it's been at a lot of places. Image Comics published the first 37 issues of. first volume of powers and uh yeah even on its own just those just that run i think stands on its own high enough to be something that not only do i enjoy a lot but uh is good enough to be on my list of my favorite image comics so powers uh just a brief uh, description of it it's a combination of a superhero comic. And a crime comic and a police procedural comic, because it's about two detectives who deal with cases, I think primarily homicide cases involving powers, meaning people with superhuman abilities. So in the story, they refer to these characters as powers. Um, So they're, yeah, it's. There's a bigger mythology that comes into play later on as the series progresses. But I think when you start the series fresh, it's just, it really sucks you in with these two characters that uh, are pretty different from each other and end up becoming partners. So there's the that character element along with the kind of the mystery solving and the crime elements of the story it's just a perfect mix and i think bendis has always been really good at build-ups and tension even though i think a lot of a lot of people who are newer to comics or got into comics you know in the past 10 years probably don't really respect him very much or think he's a bad writer uh, i would point them to something like powers or his daredevil comics you know cuz like those are just great comics that stand the test of time. Um, And they're from an earlier period in his career. I still enjoy a lot of the comics that he does nowadays, even though I admit that they're not all classics or anything, but, you know, that's fine. I don't expect someone to constantly churn out classic after classic. I think Powers is a classic though. So I would totally recommend that. And he's got a lot of other books that Image has published in the past, Uh, especially his, I'm thinking specifically about his crime comics. Uh, so look for books like Jinx, Goldfish, Torso, and Fire. Like, those are all really excellent books. And I think, uh, because so many different companies have published his work, you should be able to find them from somebody somewhere at, at a store. Uh, they're, they're all great books, man.
0: Yeah. Yeah man, that's a pretty long series and uh I remember I've read a couple of the first earlier uh trades. It's it's pretty compelling stuff and I just haven't gotten back around to it, but it's definitely worth checking out. I do like Michael Avon Owings' art and I I do agree that it's in terms of Bendis's uh, body of work, it's definitely the stuff that I guess plays to his favor, which is you know kind of mystery crime stories and mm-hmm. uh, you know just the the kind of stories that he excels at.
1: Yeah, he's really great at building up drama and having it pay off. It's it's powerful stuff, and I I think his writing just throughout the series is consistently great uh, with his uh, just the the themes and social commentary that he puts into the stories. It's good, man. Like, you can see that a lot of these stories, even though there are stories that are crime stories involving superpowers and, uh, you know, all sorts of weird stuff, like, there's still pieces of him in the story, you know? Like, it's, it's obvious that there are scenes where he's just communicating ideas that he cares about or that matter to him. That's not always easy to do in... in series that's so rooted in the fantastic but i think he pulls it off really well here and yeah like you said bowing's art is great he his style here kind of reminds me of like i guess like bruce tim or something you know it's it's almost like uh batman the animated series where the main character has this really big square jaw and yeah everything is fairly cartoony but really well realized so that you can believe in the world even though it's cartoony it's still pretty grim and and dark and it feels real and uh it's just more i guess adult and even kind of dirty at times
0: <laughs> I I just chuckle because I wonder I wonder what's going through your head what are you imagining when you say it's kind of dirty so
1: well what i'm saying is that i've read some of the back matter in powers cuz a lot of the a lot of the issues have letters columns where bendis will talk to the readers and even the trades and the hardcovers have some uh, special features so i know bendis has said that i don't and i don't know if he's joking or if he's serious but i know he said that whenever he's written scripts for powers he's never once asked Oming to draw a naked breast but it just seems like Oming constantly draws <laughs> naked breasts in the comics
0: <laughs> It's kind of funny that you mentioned that there I've read uh comics where Michael Avon Oming does you know the the writing and the art uh-huh. you know just something that's purely his own vision mm-hmm. and that stuff does seem like he 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 pushes the envelope in terms of gratuity
1: yeah, I mean, there's also that one issue of Powers where it's just a bunch of apes having sex.
0: The whole issue?
1: You never read that one?
0: I don't think I got to it.
1: Oh, I'll I'll show it to you sometime. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, okay. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, I uh, just noticed that I did miss one earlier, so I... I, I can cop to it, I'll go back to it now. So I'm going to mention one of the ones on my list. And again, th- these aren't in any particular order. so they're, it's They were really in alphabetical just... order, but I guess yeah. that doesn't matter at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's not off by much, but the one comic that I wanted to... The next comic that I put on my list was Plutona by Jeff Lemire mm, and nice. Amy Linux. This is something that we've talked about at least once one one other time on this podcast and uh but it, it's uh it's a it's a story that i do enjoy i think emmy, emmy lennox's art is uh it's pretty pretty good looking it's um uh, yeah I, I think it's fair to say that i'm pretty drawn to that cartoony style um uh, mm-hmm. but but even that cartooniness aside, I do think it's a pretty heavy story that's got elements of just mystery and uh, just family drama. Well, I don't even know if it's family drama, but it's uh, – yeah, it, it's it's a pretty good story about just these kids who find a body in the woods and just the descent that they go into – when dealing with this body that they find and what ends up happening to them, uh, what what ends up binding them together uh, into having this deep, dark, tragic secret, mm-hmm. it's it's a good story. You know, it's it's in spite of how cartoony it looks, there's something that's very, very haunting about it. But that aside, uh, you know, I, I also thought it'd be a good segue to talk about Jeff Lemire because, you know, he's a guy who's pretty prominent in comics right now. So it, it's hard not to mention his other works at Image. Uh, the other one that I felt was worth mentioning was Royal City, which he wrote Andrew. And mm-hmm. that's a really good just family drama right there. It's There's nothing spectacular about it. It's just about... People dealing with their unresolved family issues and finding a way to to, you know, to persevere in spite of their their shared traumas. Mm
1: hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, you're not going to talk about Descender or Gideon Falls?
0: Oh, well, you're right. There is Descender. I, I did forget about that. Descender a pretty great epic sci-fi story that he did uh where it's about uh man i I, yeah i i it's a lot to recollect right now just
1: take albert's word for it it's good (laughs) yeah
0: there we go (laughs) and as for gideon falls i haven't read that yet so uh, there's not really much that i can say about it
2: okay okay
0: yeah uh like i'm still missing one issue as soon as i get that one issue i will read it But it is Jeff Lemire's attempt at a horror comic from my understanding. Mm -hmm. And now that I mention it, there's also Family Tree that he did. Uh, I'm still missing three issues of that. So I haven't been able to get on that as well. But,
1: you know. Another uh, book he did with Andrea Sorrentino is Primordial.
0: Yeah, that just came out in hardcover, I think, very recently. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think uh, currently they're doing one called The Bone Orchard Mythos.
0: I believe so yeah i don't really yeah.
1: know much about it
0: yeah i just know that jeff lemire wrote it and at some point i'm gonna check it out yeah
1: yeah Yeah. he and sorrentino do quite a bit of work together
0: yeah they're regular collaborators mm-hmm. I, I i'm sure there there's something about his work that you know speaks to his personal aesthetics
1: yeah what you got Next up for me is one that I don't think we need to spend too much time talking about because we've already done a full episode on it in the past, probably about a year ago. But yeah, it's Saga by BKV and Fiona Staples. And you already talked about Brian K. Vaughn's other image works. Um, Not really sure if Fiona Staples has done other stuff for image because I feel like the other comics of hers I can't think of were things for other companies like some Wildstorm comics she did early on in her career and a couple issues of archie which which were pretty good too but yeah i mean saga it's it's a juggernaut
0: and it's
1: definitely worthy of all the all the praise yeah
0: yeah we did that episode on it not too long ago so if you guys want to check it out it's definitely there to explore and uh I, I I don't even know the the new issues just came out recently or soon.
1: Earlier this year it restarted, okay. so yeah, it's currently ongoing, uh, up in action again. So those who are reading it serialized are ahead of us because I haven't read the issues
0: yet. Okay. Okay. Nice. The next one on my list, uh, we're back to alphabetical, by the way, so I'm, I'm, I am caught up. Uh, this Again, this is another bit of a cheat because I don't have all of it. I haven't read all of it. I just read the first issue, but I will say that it blew me away as far as first issues go. Impressive. And yeah. Uh, so it's, it's something where once I read that first issue, I knew that this was something that I had to get the rest of. This was something that I wanted to know how it ended and uh, just consume. So the comic I'm talking about is Step by Bloody Step by Cy Spurrier uh, with uh, work by Matthias Lopez and Mateus Bargara. So Cy Spurrier is someone who's been in comics for a, a bit now. I've seen him on uh, a couple of things with Marvel, some things with DC but I haven't really read too much, too much of his work. But I will say that after reading this, I did find myself looking for more of his comics. Uh, I ended up looking up his Black Knight from Marvel that he did not too long ago. And I read it off the digital library and on Hoopla. And I will say that that's probably my favorite Black Knight story of all time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Can't tell if that's a backhanded compliment or not. It's
0: it's it was a story that made me have some love for the Black Knight, if I had to be honest.
1: Okay, okay, yeah,
0: yeah. But step by bloody step is it's practically a wordless comic. There's really not a lot that's being said in it, and it's just a story that follows this giant like, I don't know what you would call it, like a giant golem or something, Mm -hmm. as it just moves from place to place. And as you follow this giant golem, you learn that there's a little girl that is being watched over by this golem. Uh, And this golem doesn't speak. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't speak to her or, like, you know, communicate with her, but... It is about them sharing a relationship with each other. She is, uh, you know, a living, breathing creature who needs connect, who needs connectivity, who needs connection to other living, breathing things. So it's interesting watching her grow and not, and and like looking, watching her grow and seeking out, uh, you know, human emotional connection with this giant robotic thing that doesn't necessarily know how to give it to her, but watching them survive with one another in this, I don't know how else to describe it, but this, this, uh, hostile alien world, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a pretty great, that, that first issue was pretty great. And fortunately for me, I didn't find issues two and four so i do have the last issue of it i just need issue three and then i'm gonna go on a just a mad binge of the series but it was a is a very good series mm-hmm. so yeah. it's, it's uh it's over it's a mini series so okay. i'm pretty sure it's over yeah it's just the four issues uh unfortunately that means i'm doubtful that i'll ever see a hardcover of it i think the paperback did come out recently but yeah, I'm not a huge fan of paperback, so I'll just get that third issue, and uh, I'm content to have it that way. But I do highly recommend it, nonetheless. If they ever mm-hmm. made a hardcover of it, I would snatch that up in a heartbeat.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've read some of his other stuff, and I liked what he what I have read. Like he did a bunch of years ago. He did a Silver Surfer miniseries with Tanang Huat. Yeah, it's called it's called In Thy Name, and that that's probably. My favorite silver surfer story, nice, yeah, I liked nice. it a lot, yeah, and he also did another image comic a few years ago called "Cry Havoc was <laughs> part by Ryan Kelly. That was a good one too, cool, yeah, that I... one was uh, about monsters, like werewolves, kind of monsters, um
0: were they actual werewolves, or were they like werewolves?
1: They were actual werewolves from okay. what I remember okay, uh, and it's. At least I think they were actual werewolves. It's it's possible I could be misremembering, and they were just like monstrous dog-like creatures. But the gist of that story, it was another uh, mini series. I think it was six issues, but it was about a military group that was out to uh, fight against these kind of creatures that have been forgotten in folklore. Um, and I, I guess. Just saying that out loud, it doesn't really sound <laughs> super appealing. Yeah. But uh, the, a lot of the details have like slipped my mind since I read it. But I I just do remember having like great feelings about it after having read it. Like it felt like it, it was something that was more than just what my description said. It it was that was yeah. a good comic. Yeah.
0: Well, look at it this way. If he can tell a story about werewolves, which we know you have a disdain for, along with other, you know, just like classics, vampires, <laughs> yeah, classic uh, Turner Turner movie monsters, whatever the <laughs> what are the whatever they are, yeah. Uh, if he can make you like a story about them, that should say something in and it of itself. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. I do remember after reading uh, that one issue though, and, and it's weird to think that one issue could do that for me but i do remember thinking uh i about two or three months earlier i went to jeffrey's toys and uh i was looking through their 33 cent bin and i did find most of the uh lucifer comics that he did with uh what's his name i forget the name of the artist he he did the the doctor star series with jeff lemire but
1: was that max fumara
0: you're right. Yeah, it's Fiamara. exactly, and I I think I was just missing like one or two issues, but uh, towards the end, but I ultimately decided not to put it. Uh, I ultimately decided to put it back and. Wait, was this? Wait, you said the dreaming? No, this was uh, Lucifer. Oh, Lucifer. Okay. Yeah, but after reading this comic, I I kind of regretted that I not picking those issues up because it was almost all of it.
1: Yeah, that's a yeah. that's a shame. It's
0: yeah, yeah. I think what I'm telling myself now is, if they ever make an omnibus out of that, which is likely, unless you know, it's revealed that him or Fiomara are you know harassers. Don't of say some it. Sort. <laughs> 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 if that if any of that ever comes out, then I won't ever see <laughs> an omnibus. But otherwise, I think there's a good chance that I'll see an omnibus of that.
1: <laughs> they made an omnibus of his X-Men Legacy series at Marvel.
0: I don't think I really Was that the one that was about Legion?
1: Yeah, I okay. never actually read it, but I was always curious about it, and people seemed to have good things to say, too.
0: It had cool covers. I thought yeah. the covers were really The art cool. was great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it kind of sucks feeling high about him as a writer, like, this late in the game, but, hey, better late than never.
1: Mm-hmm. That's true, man. Yep what you got next on my list is starlight the aforementioned mark miller comic with art by garan parlov that's another comic i think we talked a bit about when we did our mark miller episode earlier on in the pandemic but it was something that always stuck with me uh, as probably one of my top favorites from miller because this one unlike a lot of his other work actually does feel like a positive or uplifting optimistic kind of story instead of something that just makes you feel super cynical about the world not that cynical stories are bad mind you but sometimes getting that same message repeatedly from the same writer can get a little (laughs) bit tiresome (laughs) so it was cool to see him do something a little different you know yeah and starlight is about this guy named Duke McQueen who's an old man at this point but when he was in his prime in his youth you know when he was a strapping young man and uh, you know 40 years before this story starts he was kind of like this Flash Gordon type of hero who went to another planet and saved the universe basically saved a, saved a bunch of people and did hero stuff and then he went back to Earth and then lived a regular life but His his uh, wife was the only one who ever believed in him that he did all those things. And his the kids that he had, you know, they they grew up and they've become adults and they never believed in their dad's crazy stories about going to other planets and saving the world. And uh, now he's up there in age and his wife has passed away. His his adult children don't really think too highly of him because, you know, he's he's a kook or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And then uh, one day uh, he gets a call from that planet he saved back when he was young and they need him to be a hero one more time. So he goes there even though he's this washed up old man who kind of feels like he has nothing to live for. It's a great piece of work, man. I, I love that a lot. Goran nice. Parlov's art is very Mobius like in that series. It's uh yeah, I think, I think, That is my favorite Mark Miller image comic because I was thinking between this one and Wanted and ultimately uh, had to pick Starlight over Wanted.
0: Nice. It does remind me of another Mark Miller image comic that he did, which was Reborn. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a similar idea where (sighs) I think... From what I remember, it's a story about a woman who dies and she wakes up in this fantasy world. And
1: it's a, it's a Mark Miller Isekai.
0: I was gonna say it's a white man's Isekai. <laughs> 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 yeah, but that's that's basically what it is. It's about this woman dying, living out her life, uh, you know, into old age, and then awakening into this new world, uh, you know, as a fully young person and just getting the second chance to live out a life of adventure and excitement Mm -hmm. uh but the only thing is you don't get Goran Parlov art you get Greg Capullo so it's not quite the same
1: he's significantly worse yeah
0: (laughs) yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah. you just can't compare those guys man I mean Goran Parlov is awesome
0: (laughs) yeah yeah, and Greg Capulo. He's not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, next on uh, your list?
0: Yeah, next on my list. So this is another one where I initially wanted to talk about something else, but the creatives behind it ended up getting in trouble for something uh something yeah, used- not good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I just thought I'd focus on another equally good comic, but it's just, it's just a shame that people just can't control themselves. <laughs> um, so the comic that I'm going to talk about is The God Damned by Jason Aaron, uh, with art by R.M. Guerrera, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a pretty intriguing, uh, concept, but... It's basically Jason Aaron doing Bible stories, but in a pretty gritty, hardcore uh, fashion. So it's... it's, They're Bible stories that are... That don't shy away from uh, just, I guess, how ugly and how harsh... The environment could have been uh, in those times. Like I don't think there are stories that necessarily acknowledge like God isn't necessarily a character in those stories. But there are character there are stories that revolve around, I guess, an interpretation of of specific things, uh, specific events and moments in the Bible. So. like the first story is essentially about Cain and Abel from what I remember. You know, it's 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 his telling of the Cain and Abel story. Mm-hmm. And uh he followed it up with another mini series called The Virgin Brides. I'm I'm not quite sure what that one's about, but I'm still in the middle of collecting those and uh you know, it'll be interesting to to read those when I get done with them. Um yeah, uh Aram Guerrero's art is pretty cool I'm I'm I, I really dig it for the book uh yeah it's I guess another way to look at it is it's bible stories if they were kind of like noir stories bible <laughs> noir stories I guess is how you could call it <laughs> all right all right yeah I, like I don't know if if anyone ever thought to combine those two things but Jason and Aaron certainly did try <laughs> <laughs> film noir bible stories (laughs) yeah yeah uh the comic that i was gonna pick was southern bastards by him and uh jason latour but unfortunately jason latour uh is kind of gross so and then for a second i was gonna actually do the other side which they also published but then i remembered cam stewart was also kind of gross so i'm just at this point i'm just like jason aaron you you gotta pick like, better people to work with. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many more of your books I can avoid. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, Southern Bastards is just a story about a young woman who goes back to, you know, the small hometown uh, that she, her, her father grew up in, and she comes back to find that her father's been murdered. And... It's just a... It's a a hard-tack revenge story, you know? That just really revolves around this little town and the various characters that exist in it. And I guess it kind of does that thing that uh, Kyle Starks does where, you know, he takes something that's very specifically American and injects it into the center of the story as a focal point. So with uh with Jason Aaron and uh Southern Bastards the focal point for them is just small town football culture you know high school football culture in these small towns mm-hmm. because in these small towns uh the way that they venerate uh football is just so insane that they're willing to let crimes uh go you know uh th- they're willing to overlook crimes and criminal activity as long as it means that they can get football wins, yeah, yeah,
1: just like real life,
0: yeah, <laughs> just like just
1: like the n f l
0: yeah, hey, drew, no more boys will be boys, <laughs> <laughs> that didn't last very long, <laughs> it did not. <laughs> But yeah, I couldn't in good conscience recommend Southern Bastards. Uh, but the go- but Jason Aaron's work is still good. He's still a good writer, and uh, I thought I'd recommend The Goddamned then. Drew.
1: Well, now I feel kind of bad because I'm about to recommend something by someone of questionable character myself. <laughs> Do it. Go for it. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Uh, my recommendation is Stormwatch by Warren Ellis.
0: Oh. Okay.
1: Yeah. So he. Unfortunate. (laughs) Yeah. He he wrote Stormwatch starting with issue thirty-seven, and then it went up to fifty, and then they relaunched it with the new number one that lasted another eleven or twelve issues, uh, and then like right around the time that ended, that was when uh Wildstorm got bought out by DC and he launched the authority with Brian Hitch. Yeah. But yeah, I mean we all we all know what Warren Ellis did and uh he was just this, you know, horn dog who couldn't keep his hands to himself and abused his power, um committed sexual misconduct numerous times. But I don't know, man. I can't really I can't really <laughs> defend him or say that it's worth ignoring what he did to read a comic. Uh, but I think it's just that Stormwatch was something that I read such a long time ago before any of this news came out that Yeah. I still have
0: I still like the comic man, but those comics are always going to be a part of us and it's unfortunate uh, I think I tell myself that in history there's a lot of things I mean it's not like people just all of a sudden started being crap, so certainly there are things in history art there's art in history that is associated with bad people and that's that's not an excuse it never is but there's yeah yeah
1: and and i'm I would definitely I'm not encouraging anyone to to uh, ignore the artist in favor of the art, you know, yeah. like I, I don't think I can shut my brain off like that. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna go uh, tell people to listen to R. Kelly songs or something like that. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just one of those things here, though, with yeah. Stormwatch. I, I think because I had it for such a long time uh, before knowing what Warren Ellis was like. Yeah, it, I'm not. It. I still say it's one of my favorite image comics, but I'm not gonna, you know, insist or recommend that people yeah. seek it out if they haven't read it. But it's uh, yeah, it's just a good superhero comic with a uh, a lot of smart ideas and concepts. The art's not very good until Brian Hitch takes over, but yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, it it's. It's an intelligent superhero comic compared to a lot of the stuff, compared to just about anything in the 90s.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, like, maybe I couldn't give a full, you know, a wholehearted endorsement of it. But I think acknowledging, just making an acknowledgement of his misdeeds, it's something, you know, like, yeah, it's... There are a lot of people in organizations who would just try to ignore it, but it's just not one of those things that you can always ignore. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. And don't take this as me trying to uh defend the man or yeah. stand up for him or anything, but I do know that he's acknowledged and tried to apologize for his <laughs> behavior. He's uh written something like a statement or something about trying to be better, and uh, I guess only time will really tell, you know, if he truly has changed. Yeah, and
0: I'd even say that there's there's ways for people to respond, and an acknowledgement on his end is certainly more acceptable than someone who would outright deny it and who would try to argue that they're not wrong. Yeah. Exactly. Like, it shows that he's willing to grow. It shows that, like, if, if all we can ask of people is that they acknowledge their mistakes and try to right those behaviors, then, like, people have to be capable of forgiveness. People have to be... Well, okay, I'm not saying that anyone has to forgive him, but, you know, people have to be willing to try to... Make themselves or or to, uh, how do I phrase this? People who do wrong, the first step is acknowledging that wrong and to ask for that forgiveness because if they choose to forego that, then, you know, we have nothing. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. In fact, I was going to say, like, one of his other comics almost made it on my list. I was about to put Ministry of Space on my list
1: yeah i was considering that myself
0: yeah but i'll be honest i i i I had a hunch that you would probably put a warren ellis comic on your list so i just let you take the hit for me
1: (laughs) (laughs) he's got a lot of image comics to choose from and he he was a guy whose work i was collecting uh almost on a completionist kind of basis like he was up there with Peter Milligan and Joe Casey for me for quite a few years where i was actively trying to get everything that i could find from him so i do have a ton of his comics including most of his image comics yeah and i i, I do have to admit that i really did like pretty much all of them yeah for different reasons i, I thought they were like just really excellent comics
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a hard, uh, it's a hard thing to reconcile, but, yeah. but yeah, uh, you know, we just do our best. And uh, again, like, it's not a defense of the man, and it's not a necessarily uh, an endorsement of him or his behavior. Uh, but I can't deny that I enjoy his comics too.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: The next one on my list is The Manhattan Projects by Jonathan Hickman and Nick Pitara.
1: Excellent choice.
0: Yeah. This is something that I don't even think they ever finished it. I never got the hardcovers. I regret not getting the hardcovers. I kinda did hate. Did they myself. make hardcovers of it? They did. They had those uh really thick uh I don't even know what the editions were called, but they were pretty good looking hardcovers, man.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, I didn't realize but, they made hardcovers of it.
0: Yeah, they're all out of print now, but I I remember I read a couple of the trade paperbacks here and there and this is like some off the wall science fiction uh yeah, stuff. It's 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 a fictionalized version of I want to say like the late 1940s Maybe early 1950s America. Uh, it's, yeah. it's a depiction of America in the post World War era, but it's really something that leads into a lot of the a lot of just crazy. I don't want to say conspiracy theories, but I, <laughs> I guess it does feel like the the kernel for some of the ideas does come from like just weird conspiracy theories that he just. That Jonathan Hickman just decided to, you know, turn up to turn the dial up to 100 and turn into like fiction fuel, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And so it's just a a really crazy version of America where I think the president of the United States is a simulacrum or whatever the term is simulacrum. Uh, Yeah, simulacrum. uh, And I think there's, like, a, 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 an underworld of, like, mole people or something like that. The Russians have moon colonies. It's it's just some of the craziest off-the-wall type of science fiction adventuring that you can read. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there's a talking dog because the, the dogs that they sp- sent into space came back hyper-intelligent or something like that. Yeah. Like... There are just so many crazy, fun ideas in this book that it is just a joy to consume. Um, the only thing is, I don't think they finished it. Like, I never read that last, the last arcs of it, so I'm not 100% sure. But you know what? At some point, I'm going to check on Hoopla to see if I, the, all of it is there, and maybe I'll just do a binge and catch myself up on it. But, yeah,
1: I think I've only read the first three or four trades. So I, I never uh, read the ending either, but I, I did yeah. enjoy what I did read. Well,
0: this is another thing where I think – well, not I think. I read it a long, long time ago, but even all these years later, thinking back to it, maybe the specific plot details are kind of murky to me, but I still remember that it was just super fun to read. Yeah,
1: and the artwork you know? was great. It was just yeah. a blast. Yeah, I read Yeah, way long too, way long ago. I think I read it when whenever the trades first came out, that was
0: when I was reading them. Yeah. Now that I think about it, it might have been in the top two, like, earliest things from Hickman I ever read.
1: Yeah. Unlike a lot of other creators, I think he is somebody that made his name at Image before going to Marvel and then going back to Image to capitalize on the cachet that he had developed uh-huh. Yeah. Because he so, he did stuff like Pax Romana and the Nightly News pretty early on before before I can remember him at Marvel.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he was established, for sure.
1: Yeah. And, I do like a lot of his image stuff. I just haven't read the big ones, you know? Like, I, I feel like I've, I keep holding out to try and find them for cheap, but I, I regret not buying those East of West hardcovers when I saw them at half-off that one time. Yeah. And yeah, that's a big regret because that's how I was planning to read the series but I missed out when I had my opportunity and now uh, the hardcovers are out of print.
0: You played yourself. You played yourself, son?
1: Yeah, I took a risk and I lost.
0: That ain't game time ready.
1: It ain't, man. It ain't. But that yeah, that's a big one that I I really want to read cuz I think I think if I read East of West in its entirety i feel like that's probably gonna that would probably have made my favorites uh my top 13 image comics list yeah yeah but there's a couple other ones of his that i haven't finished reading too like the black monday murders and decorum uh yeah decorum decorum (laughs) Decorum? (laughs) decorum i don't know man
0: how about the ambience
1: the ambiance or the decor
0: <laughs> decorum or the ambiance? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i do have both of those though i just haven't gotten around to reading them in their entirety
0: yeah yeah but i recommend uh, the manhattan project for sure
1: Mhm. Mm-hmm.
0: what you got next
1: next up for me is stray bullets by david lapham and this is a comic that was not originally published by Image. It was originally published, uh, self-published by David Lapham's own company, El Capitan Books. But recently, or I guess in, a, I guess a few years ago, I forget exactly how many years it's been now, Image ended up reprinting the whole thing and even printed uh, or even... Did a new series called uh, Stray Bullets, Sunshine and Roses. I haven't read the entire series. I'm pretty far behind in all honesty. But everything of it that I have read, I liked enough to put on this list. Because I really do like David Lapham's stuff. Especially Stray Bullets. It's my favorite thing from him. He wrote Andrew it himself. It's a crime series. And it's something that spans... A couple of decades in the story with a pretty big cast of characters I think for people who enjoy the Baker and Phillips crime comics, Stray Bullets is another one that has to be checked out it's uh, got a good mix of just dark and gritty kind of storytelling but it's also got moments that i think are pretty poetic too just in terms of story structure and i don't know if you want to call them twist endings but just like if you look at certain issues like they're really well done stories that you could just read that issue independent of everything that's going on and still really appreciate it but if you read the entire series in order you'll get even more appreciation because you'll have a bigger context of everything nice next up for you albert
0: Yeah, so this is something that you actually mentioned a little bit earlier. I was wondering if you were going to bring it up or not, but uh, yeah, you you did not disappoint. You did hit it on the head. Uh, So the next comic that I put on my list was The Milkman Murders by Joe Casey and Steve Parkhouse.
1: Nice, nice. So, you
0: know... Uh, we're all kind of aware that you're a huge Joe Casey fan, and he's he's a talented dude, so I get it, but The Milkman Murders is something that, like, really—I think of his body of work, that's something that really stuck with me. Um, it's really kind of hard for me to describe what it is or what it's about. Like, it's—I I don't really have— yeah it's hard for me to articulate, but all I know is it's, it's a
1: psychological suburban horror story about a typical uh family that isn't very typical th-
0: yeah I, that's one way to put it <laughs> yeah uh I will say that I will say this much about it it's as as far as the comic goes, it is something that left me feeling uneasy after I read it where I did spend time thinking about what it was that I had just read, what it was trying to say. But some people might, you know, hear that and think that that's a bad thing. But I'm pretty sure that was the intent of the comic. Yeah. And in that regard, it was successful at doing that. He got you, man. Yeah, exactly. So I do think it's a it's a good comic. It's a good like. That's something I think of as kind of a horror comic, you know? It's mm-hmm. it's it's something that adequately uh, evokes horror and dread uh, accurately, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Is that so,
1: something that you own your own copy of?
0: I have the issues. Oh, okay, nice. In fact, no, no, no. I was going to say I think you gave me the issues, but now that I think about it, I'm pretty sure I found them at... Uh, at a quarter sale somewhere. Okay, cool, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure I got him at a quarter yeah. sale. Yeah, but that's a that is a good comic.
2: Mhm.
1: Yeah, my next comic is one that I don't really think needs too much of an introduction, but it's another horror comic, The Walking Dead, by Robert Kirkman and Tony Moore, Charlie Adlard. It's a phenomenon. It's about zombies. It's about survival and what makes us human and i think there's a reason why it was such a big hit and it's it's good to see that something that was of such high quality do so well uh, i don't really watch the tv show or I, I mean i don't i don't watch the tv show i think i've seen like two episodes of it in my life so i can't really speak to the show as a phenomenon but the comic uh i've read i haven't finished it i probably read up to like volume i want to say like 24 or 25 or something so i got pretty far in and then like a bunch of time passed and i just uh it it took me a while to find the other volumes but you know one of these days i'm gonna re-read it from the beginning all the way to the end
0: yeah same here man i'm still missing the very last volume of the hardcovers mm-hmm. but once I get that, like you, I'm just going to read the entire epic from start to finish just to for, for the full effect of it. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. That could be future yeah. podcast material. For
0: sure, for sure. I feel like I've read the first few volumes several times already.
1: Yeah, same here.
0: But, you know, I, it's never a chore and it's not ever anything I regret. It's It's a good read every time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely the big turning point for me when it comes to how I perceived Image Comics as well because I think when I had come back to comics in the early 2000s, I still had this impression of Image as the company that published Spawn and uh, Savage Dragon and those books, you know? But then they were already doing other stuff, different stuff, and then when The Walking Dead got so big it kind of opened the floodgates for all these other people to try these non-superhero genre type of stories. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of my comic book regrets is not buying Walking Dead issue one. (laughs) I could have, I could have bought that and sold it, man. (laughs) You could have been rich. Rich.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's gold in them darn hills. I know,
1: man. Instead I ended up just buying the trade paperback. (laughs) <laughs> that's substantially less valuable <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: man uh what's your
1: last one albert
0: my final comic this is someone that i think i've posted on uh, him on the instagram a little bit i don't know if i've talked about him too much <clears throat> uh but yeah my my final comic is the new world by Ailescott and heather moore and Tradmore. Um, uh, this is a four issue miniseries he did uh Alescott is someone that I came across initially from his Winter Soldier run with Marco Rudy I think Mm-hmm. yeah and I remember reading that comic at the time and I know the artwork was beautiful but I did think that Ailescott had a pretty good way with words as well I I was still trying to figure out or like yeah, trying to figure out what my thoughts on him were as as a writer. Like, he certainly had a way with words. I, I wasn't particularly sure of what to make of him overall as a writer, like, you know, uh, in terms of what he was trying to communicate or what his plotting was like. But I will say that reading The New World was a pretty good – it was a pretty good way for me to get what I felt was an accurate measure of him as a writer. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it kind of reminds me of the private eye in the sense that it takes place in this almost, it's kind of a dystopian future, but it's if that dystopian future was like bubblegum pop. Mm. Yeah. And it's definitely another comic where, he's trying to 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 make a statement on just technology and how it's affected uh human beings as uh how it's affected human beings and how it's affected community as a whole but i think at its core it's it's just i don't know how else to describe it but a, a love story between two uh unexpected uh character archetypes you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it's i thought it was a really well done story uh i i really enjoyed it i thought uh trad uh did wonderful art for it
1: yeah that guy's art is fantastic he's so idiosyncratic it's it's so different yeah. from everything else
0: everything's got this like liveliness to it it's so like curvy and uh the coloring is beautiful on that book too. Just everything just pops out at you. It's it really was a really good book and uh Alescott is someone who I think he he had you know a few books you know not too long ago but he he's kind of dropped off since then. I haven't seen him quite as much, uh, but I do definitely wish that uh, uh, he's someone I wish to hear more from, someone I, I want to see more work from. And when I do see stuff from him, I I, I go out of my way to try to check it out. Um, here's mm-hmm. a funny little note, but uh, – well, okay. I, I will talk about another book of his I just read recently. I just collected the issues. I posted it on Instagram. I finally got a chance to read it, but this was Days of Hate. Uh, that was done by – him and uh that was daniel daniel zelzich yeah yeah
1: i'm not sure i'm pretty sure i'm pronouncing his name incorrectly
0: yeah yeah (laughs) like it's it's a it's a series of letters that i'm not accustomed to putting together so so i don't know how 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 to pronounce that but yeah but it's a story it's it's another dystopian story but this one is far more uh dystopian than something like the new world mm-hmm. uh it's 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 what you would traditionally consider dystopian and it's it's something that i think it it makes a statement on just what happens to the country when you know uh It, yeah, I don't really know how to describe it other than – on, on the face of it, it's a story about how these two people that are basically terrorists go on this cross-country mission to commit uh, an act of terror. And really, it's about the circumstances and and the things that lead up to them making that decision. And it's a retrospective – look at the country and just what it is about people and the direction that the country is going in that would lead to something like this you Mm -hmm. know Mm -hmm. it's yeah it's a pretty uh, i guess disturbing (laughs) it's a pretty disturbing look at at the country or at at, at our current state of being as it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's something that when I was done reading, I really did need to think about what it was that I read after, after a while just to process and uh, figure out what exactly he was trying to say about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But all that to say that After I read that, I was pretty high on Ailescott. I wanted to read some more of his stuff. I looked around. I didn't see uh, much that was coming out from him. But I did find out that he wrote, he might have wrote a backup story in Gunslinger Spawn. And I'm even willing to check that out if if I can find it somewhere.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It could be your favorite Spawn comic of all time.
0: I think so. I think so. (laughs) (laughs) What you got for your last one, dude?
1: All right. With my last one, I'm going to go back to an older comic. And I'm talking about Wildcats. (laughs) But not Jim Lee's Wildcats. Alan Moore's Wildcats. Nice. That's right. The guy who wrote Watchmen also wrote some Wildcats comics. (laughs) (laughs) Alan Moore wrote Wildcats in issues 21 through 34. So it was a decent run. Uh, Unfortunately, the art was all over the place. There was some art by Travis Cherist, and he's really great, but he didn't do enough of those issues. And I think even the issues that he did work on, you could tell he was rushed or he didn't have enough time because there's a lot of missing background details and uh, just doesn't look as good as some other of his work. And then a lot of the other artists are, yeah, they're just, some of them are recognizable names, but I doubt any of them are proud of what they did uh, (laughs) now. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not going to name names, but it's, it's not a story that you read, Because of the artwork, it's a story you read. In spite of it, you read it because it's Alan Moore, yeah, doing Jim Lee's Wildcats, which is probably the most blatant X Men ripoff of all the image books. You know, even more so than something like Young Blood or Cyberforce. Yeah, because Wildcats, the premise of Wildcats, as originally created by Jim Lee, is that it's a team of superhero characters who are fighting this war against these aliens, so like millennia ago, these aliens called the Kara, Karabim and the Daemonites were fighting this war and they landed on earth um, or at least a faction of those two groups landed on earth and continued fighting on earth. And over the over the centuries or millennia or however long it's been, they kind of interbred, they both interbred with humans. So like now in the present day, uh, both sides have these human crossbreed descendants and they're continuing this war that apparently is so secret that normal humans have no idea it's going on. So you got uh, the Wildcats who represent the Cherubim and the Daemonites are still their enemies. So that that's the basic premise of it. So it's kind of like mutants are the Caribbean, and they're just fighting evil mutants that look kind of like the brood. But what Alan Moore did with that simple concept is he took the idea of what if the war between the Caribbean and the Daemonites ended many, many years ago, millennia ago, but nobody bothered telling the soldiers on Earth because Earth was such a backwater... They just didn't care. (laughs) (laughs) That's the idea of it. So the Wildcats end up going back to the home planet that they've never actually been to. They go back to Kara and that's when they learn that the war is actually over, that the Daemonites lost. And this whole time they've been fighting this war that had no meaning because it was over. Um, And it deals with the outcome of that, like it deals with the revelation of that, so the main team that goes to Kara, they're dealing with this thing that just shakes them up because now they've got to reevaluate their lives, not only what they've been doing for the past few years, but they've also got to figure out what they're doing moving forward, like is there even a point to being the Wildcats now that there is no war they're <laughs> Like, what's the point of having a covert action team when there's no action?
2: Yeah.
0: What are you (laughs) coverting? Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) And it's a dual narrative. So, like, while the main team is out in space dealing with the revelations, uh, there's a small group of other heroes that take on the name of Wildcats back on Earth. Like, this includes characters like Mr. Majestic and Lady Tron, who end up becoming, like, bigger Characters in the Wildstorm universe later on, but yeah, there's another team that's being put together on Earth to you know just fight crime and super to fight super crime and all the other things that superheroes typically do, and you know it all it all comes to a head at the end when the other team returns to Earth and they deal with some stuff. It's not a perfect run because there is like a forced crossover in the middle of it. So Alan Moore writes like chapter seven of nineteen and it, it really means nothing <laughs> <Dang>. <laughs> in the long run <laughs> yeah it it's it's annoying but i think overall it's still a great story involving probably you know jim lee's best creations and even though the art's not very good alan moore does his best and it's it's worth reading just as a piece of entertainment and it's worth reading um as a piece of alan moore ephemera just You know, if you really like his work, you got to you got to check out his image stuff because it's it's not what you would expect from Alan Moore. You know, it's something that feels like it would be beneath him, but he's a professional man and and he does pretty good work with a pretty stupid concept. (laughs) (laughs)
0: He turned crap to gold.
1: (laughs) Yeah, man, he. That's a decent way of phrasing it, man. (laughs) I'll even go so far as to point out that Joe Casey, when he took over Wildcats and did it with Sean Phillips uh, later on when DC bought Wildstorm, that's the definitive Wildcats to me. Like, that's something that I would love to talk about in detail in the future. That's even better than Alan Moore's turn on Wildcats. That wasn't an image book, so it couldn't be on the list.
0: Good list, man. I'm uh, glad that we talked about it. This was fun just reminiscing about the various comics uh, that we've collectively read over the past couple of decades. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's an episode that'll last a couple decades looking at how long it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, if anyone's got anything that they want to contribute, you know, feel free to hit us up if you want to. Uh, You know make some of your own recommendations or if you have any questions any additional questions about what we've read we're at between the gutters at uh, between the gutters podcast at gmail.com or dm us at our instagram between the gutters uh or tweet at us at between the gutters and you know we'd love to hear from you guys and uh if anyone's got if anyone listening to us would uh you know just rate us and you know, repost us somewhere and give us five stars on whatever platform you're listening to us on, we would greatly appreciate that.
1: Yeah. I'd be curious to hear what other people's favorite image comics are, even for if sure. it is Spawn or something. <laughs> I'd like to hear you explain why you like Spawn or Youngblood so much that it's still one of your favorite image comics
0: of all time. I want to hear the argument from it for it. Totally, man. Totally. Unless you're gem Mint. <laughs> i've heard your argument i'm not convinced <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> one more thing to note before we get out of here but next week we are going to take a bye week so uh we're, we're both going to be out of town so there won't be a new episode next week but i guess that's okay because this episode's long enough to be two episodes <laughs> right? it's a a hefty episode man it'll tide you over until we return and when we do return we plan to do another episode for our DC Top 25 Honorable Mentions it's gonna be We Three by Grant Morrison and Frank Whiteley. short book but a great book and I think it'll be a great time,
0: shorty but a greaty, that's what she said she didn't say it about me (laughs) (laughs) This is Between the Gutters.
1: Thanks for listening, everybody. Catch you in a couple weeks. Peace. Bye, guys.